Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, yeah. Oh, I only feel like half garbage today. Welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Podcast for Tuesday, January 17th. 2017. I'm going at this by myself again. All by Pat's self. All by Pat's self. Ian is still uh, out due to medical uh, issues. We'll get into that in a bit. But we got a cool podcast for you all. We're talking uh, some uh, some gaming stuff. Mostly, mostly retro, a little bit of modern. But the Nintendo Switch, oh my god, the reveal. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about retro bit multi carts on the way. Another Steam events auction went for an insane amount of money. The unlocking, the hacking of the NES Classic Edition. Uh, we're also talking about uh, Starcade potentially making a comeback. Uh, a, 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 an app, a particular app that's not mine, uh, and maybe a scumbag sell over the week, as well as a couple of uh, Q and A's going on there. So, uh, how's everyone doing out there? Is your, is your 2017 going, uh, going well so far? You liking it? You liking it? Um, so far it's, uh, not been the best for me. Uh, it's been alright. I've been tired. I'm still sort of in that mode of finishing up and wrapping up the 2016 projects in particular. Uh, you know, getting the second print run of the, uh, Ultimate NES Library book done, as well as the app that goes along with it, which is still, like, the bane of my existence at this point. But it's getting out there. By the time you hear this, I you know I've said this last I don't know the last three podcasts because you know, whatever. Uh, it should be out on uh, Android, uh, which is Google Play and uh, iOS. It might be out. I mean, I, I mean, it's been out for a month on iOS, a month on iOS, but no Android yet. I'm following the uh, the Super Mario Run schedule, uh, even though it wasn't the plan of getting it out on iOS on the day it came out. Super Mario Run, December 15th, and then who knows, sometime in 2017, the Android one comes out. But anyway, anyway, look for that. Uh, look for that. It's out there. Um, other than that, quick update on Ian. He's still having medical issues. He's running tests. Um, we set up, a, well, he set up a GoFundMe after some cajoling from family and friends, thankfully, to help with uh, medical bills, which are nuts. Go to thepunkeffect.com slash Ian. I-A-N, as in Nancy, thepunkeffect.com slash Ian. That's, uh, that'll redirect to the GoFundMe page for Ian. Uh, he has an update with his condition there, and he even gets down to the nitty-gritty with the, the cost of his medical tests, emergency room visit he had, uh, unfortunately, three four days ago. Um, so anything you can help out with would be appreciated uh, there, and you can follow along with updates uh, as well. Um, I do have a new NES Punk video in the works. Oh, yes, I do. So, that will come out sometime in 2017. It's dependent upon something else that I've been talking about just referenced as well. So, But I go back to working on it as soon as I edit the, this nice podcast for you all. In terms of the new podcast, whatever you want to call it, the PatCast, the Pat Country solo podcast, even though the CU podcast has been solo the last couple months, that won't be forever. Uh, I'll, I'll probably be looking at a February start date, perhaps. We'll see about that. 
I, I need a break mentally from stuff though. I need to sort of unwind and take at least a week of doing absolutely nothing to sort of just refocus and just sort of, uh, get back up to speed. I don't know when that's going to be, uh, unfortunately, uh, there. So that's my life. It's past life and it's now or never. <laughs> why did I just go into Bon Jovi? I don't know. He's from New Jersey. So am I. That's probably why. I saw some tweets saying like, yeah, oh, Pat, uh, you know, uh, you're singing too much or Ian is on the show. He can prevent you from singing. No one prevents Pat from singing. It's one of the few joys I get out of life besides brownie sundaes and a nice sushi uh, buffet. A few of the things I get out of life, you know, that I enjoy. Uh, and, and hanging out with Frank, of course. But uh, but that's what's going on. I'm going to be at the SoCal Retro Gaming Expo February 4th and 5th in Ontario, California. Pre-order tickets now and save 10%. You can use promo code CU Podcast to save. To save, indeed. You'll save like 10%. There, I actually just spoke to a couple people that are going to be at the event in the past couple of days. Uh, Gerard, uh, the completionist, Pro Jared, catching up on some stuff there. Um Frank will be there. Ian, it depends upon his health. Andre Meadows will be there. You're going to have uh, Game Radio 1. My pal, Game Radio 1. He never attacked me in, online in the video. Never did that. Uh, who else is going to be there? Uh, the lovable Billy and Jay, the Game Chasers. And uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else off the top of my head. Alex Fasciani, who's uh, sort of the, the cohort of uh, Gerard. And Phil Moore of Nick Arcade fame. That's what's going on there. So, we're going to talk about the Switch. But guess what? Pat previously recorded an hour-long discussion on the Nintendo Switch. So, why don't you uh, go over to that right now? I think I somehow managed the same amount of facial hair in that video I just did uh, a few days ago. Was it the same amount of facial hair? Did I shave right after that? I don't think I shaved for that. Anyway, go watch that video. Or, or, what do you mean, go watch it? You're, this is a fucking podcast, Pat, you dumb piece of shit. This is a podcast that you're listening to, so you can't watch it, even though you could, if you follow along on the Patreon for the podcast. But go listen to the audio portion now, and then we'll come back. So go listen to what I previously recorded that I'll splice in here with the magic of that digital technology thing that allows me to, to get away with pretending I'm a, you know, radio broadcaster or podcast or whatever the case may be. All right, go listen now. The Nintendo Switch presentation, the big event, the reveal. Will it be the console that saves Nintendo? Will it be the last console Nintendo ever makes? Will they go third party? Let's panic! I decided to record this before the usual time slot of the CU podcast every other Tuesday because I wanted to get my thoughts out there while they were still somewhat fresh and I didn't want to be totally lost behind. And now I know on YouTube... It's all about the race to get the information out first, get it out early to get those views, get those clicks. But I wanted to take a little bit of time for the information to marinate, to breathe a little bit. Because unfortunately, for better or for worse, when you have early information come out, early opinions, a lot of times, uh, not saying this is a shot at anyone, but you might not be able to get a grasp of the entire perspective when you are you know, spitting out a video within an hour of the information coming out. I mean, first you have reaction videos where it's literally just an emotional, emotional, visceral, visceral response to uh, gameplay footage or information right away that you're seeing without a time to really uh, digest it and really have it roll around in your head and think about the past and history and things like that. Um, that's, that's fine. Or even if you come out the next morning, 
you know, you're still kind of caught up with it. Oh, this is the end of Nintendo. Uh, so I wanted to not take that sort of approach, especially for a topic like this that is, you know, the biggest one out there. But let's talk about the Nintendo Switch. And I, I want to talk about uh, things in particular, but I'll go through all of it. But I want to talk about and bring up points that I think were missed by some people that I watch uh, and respect. Uh, so I was kind of like, all right, well, let's do it. Besides, you know, the the BBC did quote me, which is funny. I'll get into that later. <laughs> so maybe the BBC will quote me a little bit more on this. But the, the Switch reveal presentation based out of Japan had some uh, translation issues uh in terms of some titles appearing on screen that they showed with no english translation uh for subtitles also having uh, the one of those games uh i forget forget which one it was where the translator just fucking froze and so that was hysterical just because i mean it was bad for nintendo because you didn't find any information about the game that the japanese speaker was telling us about uh but that translator is probably chucked off nintendo headquarters uh, shortly thereafter uh, and you had some awkward uh, ad-libbing attempts here and there. And the stage was kind of weird, too. You had a Splatoon uh, cosplayer, scientist cosplayer, which was awkward as hell. So in terms of the presentation itself, it wasn't that good in terms of the on-stage uh, speakers. Not that much enthusiasm. You know, it cut to some Reggie stuff, Reggie fils stuff in the U.S. and cut back. But overall, it wasn't the most entertaining for that. But, of course, the, the focus was on the gameplay and the features that we've all been waiting for. Uh, so first off, let's talk about the price point. Two ninety nine ninety nine in the U.S., which is a price point that really shocks no one, because you know that's been basically the price of the last two consoles. Um, you, you know, the Wii was started at you know two fifty, uh, Wii U three hundred uh, for the for the deluxe versions. You know, so three hundred makes it seem like the well, this is falling right in line. And this is, you know, somewhat interesting technology that we'll get into on top of that. And it doesn't seem like it's too cheap. I don't think they're selling themselves short Nintendo with a $300 price tag. Plus, being that this is coming out in March, they can sort of gauge sales and then come back in the fall or holiday season and then have the opportunity then to either then put out some sort of bundle version at $300, including a pack-in game, which this doesn't have a pack-in, which I'll get into, or then even drop the price to 275 or 250 for a quote-unquote base model, and then also have a $300 uh, version that's bundled with, uh, I don't know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe or Splatoon 2, because you know that's going to happen. Nintendo's been doing that forever, where they will put out later versions of their consoles with a popular packed-in game, going way back to the NES. They've always done that. So that's what's going on with the price point. $300, I think, is reasonable, especially since you're replacing essentially two consoles, which I heard brought up a little bit, but not enough that I thought people people were totally getting at that. This is replacing the failed Wii U, the Nintendo Switch. But but being that this is, can be used first and foremost as a portable, this will be replacing and or upgrading the 3DS for many, many people at the same time. So from that perspective, and plus, by the way, we have no idea of any other portable Nintendo uh, handheld on the horizon besides a Switch. So really, when you get down to it, that $300 is fairly reasonable because you're replacing a, a console that costs $300 on its own, uh, the Wii U, if you bought that, and you're also replacing you know, a $200 3DS at the same time. So from that perspective, this is actually a bargain for that. In terms of the, the tablet itself, we, we confirmed some specs here. It's a 720p tablet. 
not totally shocked by that. Uh, in terms of the the video files out there, 720p is absolutely fine for a small tablet size. I mean, for the most part, that's that's fine. That that's absolutely perfect. That'll that'll help the battery life. And then you know that's one of the reasons why you put it in that little dock for your for your uh, TV so that you get more juice, more energy, and then you'll have a 1080p experience for for your games there while also not worrying about the battery. But it's a 6.2 inch, which is that's a decent size, um, 720p monitor, 32 gigabytes of internal storage, which you can expand with a micro SDXC card. I heard a lot of people whine about the 32 gigs. Uh, of internal memory um, but remember this is a tablet and you know like a lot of those Android tablets you can expand the memory I, I thought that Nintendo would, would have something expandable from the get go because they save on cost and honestly let's see what's a 64 gigabyte STXC card cost uh, we're not talking a huge amount of money you want to get a SanDisk 64 gigabyte ultra class uh, micro SDXC card it's only 19.49 on eBay to get a re- to, from a reputable source. So it's not like this is going to set you back. So even if you don't want to buy it right away, you're really looking only at a $20 upgrade to get 64 gigs on top of it. And you should be set from there based upon Nintendo's history. Uh, you know, in terms of downloadable games, 64 gigs, that should be okay for the most part. So I don't see that as a negative uh really at all. Of course, you got your audio jack, you got your your game cards, they're not cartridges, people. Cartridges have not made a comeback. They are game cards uh, that are back. Uh, you have a brightness sensor on here. Looking at this, a Joy-Con strap. I'll get into the Joy-Cons in a bit. Those are the, the two controllers, halves that slide into it. Um, volume buttons, power buttons, two speakers. That's cool. Uh, so, And you also have you know the, the headphones jack I talked about. Battery life. Getting back to the battery life. The battery life. Uh, Nintendo said that for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which I would think would be, at least for the first couple of years, if not, that's probably one of the most intensive games you're going to have on the system, on the Switch. You're going to get about three hours out of the Switch while playing Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I think that's pretty damn good for an intensive game like that, not in terms of graphics, but having an open world, uh, things of that nature. I don't think you could expect it reasonably to get six hours out of a 6.2-inch 720p tablet playing a game like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Now, obviously, if you're just screwing around with the Switch and probably playing uh, you know, your virtual console games or things of that nature, it'll probably be a lot longer because those are less intensive. Three hours is fine, though. When I saw some people uh, complain about that, I was like, have you used a 3DS? You know, have, you, have you used handhelds or tablets? They don't hold up to really high-intensive uh, elements for a long period of time. So I'm actually fine with that. Uh, so if you're, if you're going on a, a, a plane trip, you know, uh, if you don't have, first of all, you might have it. You buy a, buy a travel charger. You can probably go on the plane and plug it in underneath your seat. But if not, three hours isn't bad. Just sleep the rest of the time or do what like I do and just pray and hope that your plane doesn't crash into a mountain during that time period. Uh, so the tablet's fine. The Joy-Con... The Joy-Con is more interesting than I think I originally gave it credit for. I'm more intrigued the more and more I hear about the Joy-Con. Uh, two detachable controller halves. So you have 
they're basically mirror images of each other, which is what I was on about originally when it was first announced, was that one of the main selling points about the, the, the Switch is that you can take it out on the go or even at home, and you have two controllers built in. Uh, kinda. I mean, it will depend upon the game, but for a game like uh, Mario Kart, uh, the two Joy-Cons you can give to your friend, and you, you have two different controllers, or you can just use it as one. So you have uh, a directional pa- uh, pad or directional buttons, not a D-pad. I'll get into that later. But you've got, you got your analog stick, you've got an L button, you've got your ZL button, a capture button, which is interesting. Uh, Nintendo's getting on board there. Uh, you've got your minus button on there. Could be could be some sort of volume or something. Not sure about that. Then the mirror image, you have a plus button, right analog stick, which is below the left analog stick. Good on that. X, the good old uh, YXBA buttons, the plus button, ZR button, uh, regular Z button on the right. Uh, da da da. A regular, excuse me, regular R button on the on the right. And the specs here are wrong. It says ZR, not R. But then you have a couple other features that they kind of kept close to the vest. Nintendo, you're going to have a motion IR sensor uh, that will be able to read how far away objects are. That's very interesting. That's kind of a first, right, for a game controller, and detects detects shapes. So, uh, so in in theory, that means like you can use a controller. According to this article, uh, the and the sensor would be able to tell if your hand's doing uh, rock, paper, or scissors when you're playing a game. I'm not sure at the outset how useful that'll be for the majority of games, but for party games, obviously. That'll be useful, and, and and they'll they'll be able to work that. Developers will probably be able to work that into some games. Then it has what they're Nintendo's dubbing uh, HD uh, Rumble, which I always f- find it funny that everything that's beyond normal now gets tagged HD because HD just means high definition. What does high definition Rumble mean? I don't know, but for Nintendo, it means it's a force feedback sensation that can emulate, for example, according to them, the feeling of holding a glass filled with ice, which was in the presentation, and shaking the cubes inside it. So I guess that means that the sensor knows, uh, m- there must be a, like a, some sort of gimbal to know like the the, uh, the rotation of the Joy-Con half that you're using and, and the orientation in order to sort of bounce the rumble around in the palm of your hand. That's a cool idea. Again, the the entire usefulness of that, I am not sure of right now. But one of the many games they showed was was milking a cow. So I guess you could feel the milk going through your hands. It looks awkward on screen, but hey, that's again, that's another first for a controller. So give it up for Nintendo. Almost every freaking console generation having a first for controllers uh, going back to the NES and trying to keep it innovative. So I, I guess that's fine. But unfortunately, that probably is part of the reason why uh, the price of these Joy-Cons is not cheap, and especially for replacements. So if you want to buy extra Joy-Cons, you go over to Nintendo's uh, site. Honestly, from the looks of it, I actually kind of like the gunmetal sort of look to uh, the uh, the Switch. It actually looks like an ammo box, the dock that you put it in to have it go on your TV. Which, by the way, is like an, supposedly it's like an instant to the TV. As soon as you put that sucker in when it's on, it goes on your TV. That That's, that's cool to me. That's cool. But uh, it's going to cost... $80 for an extra set of Joy-Con controllers. US, 80 And then 50 if you just want to buy a left one or a right one, which I don't think anyone will do that. At the very least, you'll probably... Unless you, obviously, if you break one, but I think, you know, you figure, oh, I want to spend 30 bucks more, which is what Nintendo's thinking. I'm going to buy two of them 
or find a friend that wants a right one and you only need an extra left one. I think the good news here is that at most you only have to you'll probably only have to buy in some circumstances one extra set of Joy-Cons because as I said before a lot of these games you just give the one half to your your partner and or friend and or roommate who won't move out and then you have a two player experience you buy one more set and you have a four player experience for those sort of games for party games or what have you. So yeah, you have the Joy-Con controllers for $80 in red, blue, or gray. You can buy them left or right separately. You got the extra, uh, you got the charging grip, so you can charge it while you play, which means it, it's basically a, a it's basically a, a battery charger you slide the halves onto with a, with a controller shape to it. You know, and then they're selling the extra uh, Switch dock set for $90. So to me, that means like, okay... You can take it to another room in the house, have the the dock set up somewhere else as well, and slide it in. Ninety bucks is a little pricey. Then again, I'm not sure the technology of this. But what this all tells me, before I get into the Switch Pro controller, Nintendo might be taking some sort of loss on the Nintendo Switch console. They didn't remember the Wii U was the first time they weren't making a, a, a decent profit. The Wii they made a pretty good profit on. The Wii U they didn't when the console these first came out. For the first time, I don't think they're making some sort of profit on this. The, the fact that they're jacking up the prices on the Joy-Con. Now, I know the Joy-Con uh, has like the IR sensor and an HD rumble, HD rumble, whatever that means. But that's pricey, and, and the fifty dollars for half of one is almost insulting to me. But seventy dollars for a Nintendo Switch Pro controller. That to me is a little that that's a little dangerous because now you're getting for the first time. You're getting Nintendo selling a first-party controller, to my knowledge at least, that's more than the price of even their AAA titles. That's that's a major turnoff to me. Because now you're going from a console that is costing you $300 before a game to now, in order to really get the most out of this, you'll be looking at $400 after, after taxes. So if you live in a state with tax, I'm in California, there's a sales tax. You're looking at 400 bucks. Ooh, that's dangerous territory if, if I'm thinking about that. So yeah, I think Nintendo had to recoup their costs somewhere. And yeah, the Nintendo Switch Pro Controller does have the HD rumble, which I love just saying that. You got your Amiibo functionality, as do the Joy-Cons, I believe. And you're going to have uh, things like that. I wonder if you're going to have, sh- have the shake weight feature? The shake weight on the, on the Nintendo Switch Pro? <laughs> That'll be funny. Uh, doesn't say if it has the IR on the Nintendo Switch Pro. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. But, again, the Switch Pro Controller, I think most gamers will get that up because it has a good old D-pad. D-pad's not on the Joy-Con. That does bother me. And this is what BBC quoted me on, that this is bad, bad pricing. I do believe that. I think if Nintendo even shaved $10 off, off this stuff, even if you got this down to 70 for the Switch Pro Controller and 60 uh well, 60 for sure. If you got if you if you got this down to 60 for another set of Joy Cons and maybe even 40 for a half, I would be way more on board with these prices. But 70 for that Switch Pro controller to me is just that's just way unreasonable. I think they should have tried to keep that to 50. But again, profit margin, and that's probably one of the reasons why you're not going to have a packed-in game. Nintendo's trying to maximize that, so. For the Wii and Wii U, a packing game made, made sense because ah, they helped. They were tutorials. They helped you learn how to play the stupid game. Uh, Wii Sports was a massive hit with the, those dirty casuals out there that helped Nintendo 
survive forever due to the mountains of billions of cash I have in the bank from selling over a hundred uh, Wii systems. But they're quickly forgotten. And from the one-two switch, from what, from what it looks like, at least from what Nintendo's telling us, uh, honestly, you can't always you can't always trust that. But it looks it looks a little more complex than a Wii Sports game or Nintendo Land even. Um, we the Wii Sports game was a tech demo, uh, uh, absolutely a sports demo. Uh, I'm assuming a tech demo. They didn't try to hide hide it. The bowling, yes, the bowling's fun. You know, the boxing's fun. The uh, the tennis is fun. But let's not forget that they didn't it didn't take them more like than two weeks to code that stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's what it was. That was just showing up how to use it. Uh, what Reggie Fizeme said in an interview was, um, "One Two Switch is going to be closer to a Wii Play versus a Wii Sports." Now, if you didn't have Wii Play, uh, I did it. I played it uh, against someone strip strip poker at one time. No, it wasn't Ian or Frank. Uh, well, strip poker, strip Wii Play. I, I played strip Wii Play once. That's going to go my autobiography. Um, <laughs> that was a lot more immersive than Wii Sports. But that said, though, a game like Wii Play. I think they char- tried charging 40 bucks for it or, or 60 with, with an extra Wiimote. That should have been a $30 game, as should 1-2 Switch should be. 1-2 Switch should not be a $60 title. 1-2 Switch should be a $30 title, and Nintendo probably would, would sell 5 to 10 times the amount if they have the price. So I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. They're hoping that people are going to want to walk away with any title at all to sort of get that Nintendo Land or... Wii Sports experience, but I think they're wrong in charging the same amount for a Wii Play type of title as they are doing with their huge launch title Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. But that could be something that maybe they'll put out a bundle with that in the fall or drop the price. They're going to have to drop the price on something like something called the 1-2 Switch. They're just going to have to. I wish it was packed in. If that was packed in, I would be a lot more uh, a lot more stable with with the outlook of this system, which by the way I should have said up front that I am cautiously optimistic. Uh, I hear the I hear or I see them. I see all the fanboy comments right now, but I'm not totally totally sold on this. I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm not saying I'm not saying this is going to be the biggest hit ever for Nintendo, but I'm also not saying Nintendo is doomed and, and are going to go third party and are going to start selling Mario games on fucking PlayStation because that's not happening either. It's going to be somewhere in between, which, again, I'll get into. So, that's what's going on with, with, with that. Let's get into more uh, why Nintendo needs to make money, probably, more off the system, but also to catch up. They're going to have an online service. It's going to start uh, for free for trial until the fall. And then once you get to the fall, uh, at that point, you're going to have to start paying. I don't think the prices have been revealed yet. Hopefully it's not more than ten bucks a month. Hopefully it's not, you know, it's. Hopefully you're not going to see Nintendo have have something more than you know the Xbox or or uh, or PlayStation, you know, uh, service memberships. That that would that would be insane. I don't think anyone would want to see that. So, what are you going to get out of this service? This uh this service. Well, the biggest, the biggest ones. There's two two ones. The biggest ones is this. Well, first off, hopefully the infrastructure is better. <laughs> hopefully this means that the money you're putting into this that Nintendo's taking in, they're also putting into more uh, sturdy servers so that when I'm playing Mario Kart, I'm not kicked out of a game every six or seven times. Not saying that always happened, but there was a time when it wasn't the most stable. 
That's the first thing. But there's two the two big points that I've seen everywhere is that the first one is going to be that you're going to get a a Nintendo or Super Nintendo title every month. And I'm not sure if you're going to choose it or if Nintendo's going to give it to you for one month, basically a monthly rental that you'll be able to play for free. NES or Super Nintendo, and also play with the first time, which they should have had this. I again tweeted this. Pure fanboy pet. They should have had this at least with the Wii U or 3DS, if not on the Wii. Uh, multiplayer incorporated. Yes, you're going to get that stuff. You could you could have gotten fucking emulators back in 2000. Online play of NES and Super Nintendo ROMs on the Switch. That's good news. It's not good news though. Is that you're going to have to maybe rebuy the same ROMs you bought seven times before on the 3DS, on the Wii U, on the Wii, and then going back to your you know your your re-releases of of Super Mario you know World and All Stars and everything else. Reggie fils said that when he was asked directly, what if I already bought this on the 3DS or Wii U? He said, stay tuned. I'm hoping, God, I hope that. I don't think Nintendo, Nintendo values their old IPs um, maybe more so than anyone else I've ever seen in the history of video games, most likely. Because because you've never seen them put out like, oh, for 60 bucks, well, for 60 bucks, here's a an NES Classic Edition you can't buy. But they never said, oh, for 60 bucks, here's Here's 50 NES games on uh for for your for your GameCube. And they never have done that. They're not they're not putting up Midway Classics Volume Four, so they value their IP, their old IP, especially their games, very very heavily. So I'm hoping that these systems are synced up. Uh, by now they've got it figured out that like the Wii U and the 3DS, you know, you're on you're on the same account there, and that'll cross over to the the Switch. That if you purchase something for the 3DS or Wii U, I'm hoping and praying that at the very least, they'll just charge you some fucking transfer fee. You know, like 50 cents a game. I know wishful thinking, Pat. Nintendo are going to try to gouge you. Uh, 50 cents or a dollar uh, for each game you transfer over. Or maybe a $10 fee to transfer all, all of them over at once. Nintendo makes money doing something that they should be doing for free. You don't feel like you're getting totally bent over. They're at least using lube doing that. They're not going in dry. And then you win, and hopefully they throw in that multiplayer functionality. So that's what you're going to get for your Nintendo Online membership. The other big one is going to be an app on your mobile device well, that will finally allow you to have uh, allow you to chat with your friends while you're playing you know, playing games or uh, at least in, in the, uh, the party chat, things like that nature, while you're in the lobby. Yeah, I'm not sure how much censorship they're going to have not to allow you. They're afraid people are going to be cursing at each other during Splatoon. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me if I have a friend list. I, I should be able to say whatever the hell I want. But at first, I thought that was strange. Why have an app for chatting? Then I then I realized that Nintendo, the Switch, the whole idea of it, that this is really a portable device as well, that you're docking to a TV. The reverse of the Wii U, where, yeah, you have a tablet, but it's not really mobile that you only can go to the bathroom and back with it. This you can take all over the world. So, how would you transfer that experience also at home? Well, hate to say it, you always got your fucking phone on you. So, you might think it's kind of cheap and weird to have this be, have a phone or a tablet be the method to communicate with everyone. There's a, there's a audio jack and all your mobile devices. You can take those, those, uh, those devices with you all over the world into your car, to a restaurant, even on a plane, if they allow to use a uh, Wi-Fi to probably access it, 
you know, put in plane mode. That's actually the more I think about it, that's actually not a not a bad idea. That's actually pretty smart. Not being a fanboy, I'm just saying Nintendo thought ahead there. That could be worth it. Again, what's the price point? What else do you get out of it besides those two main features? Because to me, that's what I'm interested in. Okay, let's get into what, what's actually coming out in the system. Because a console is only as good as the games that come out on it. And I saw a lot of people upset by the launch titles. A lot of people upset. Uh, you have a little right to be upset. I don't think you have a, a huge right to be upset. For a few reasons. One of those reasons I'll get into near the end that I don't think anyone's commented on yet or really talked about, which not saying that means I'm smarter, but again, it's the whole let's let this information digest. Let's take a, take a step back. Uh, but first, this is a console coming out in March. That's not common for a console to do that. Uh, so Nintendo, it's, a, it's another conversation that we'll have real quick. Nintendo thought they had to get this console out in March. Probably two reasons to do that. Uh, Wii U sales are, are fucking over. I did hear murmurings that the 3DS sales were still strong over the holidays. Unfortunately, we're not going to know about that really until probably, you know, the first quarter is totally over, fiscal quarter, and we find out what happened with those sales and the profits and everything else. But Wii U sales are done. They've been done for probably a year. Nintendo dropped the hammer on this system a long time ago. A year and a half at least, if not two years. Uh, so they need another system out to make money. Another reason why they're never going to go third parties because Nintendo likes money. We all like money. So they need to do this system out. They are, however, are also holding on to a huge title that they've kept pushing back. Legend of Zelda Breath of the, of the Wild, which has probably been done for the Wii U since, you know, at least they, like eight months or so, since like E3. That, that puppy's been done. But they realized that they needed an explosive launch title in order for the Nintendo Switch to have a chance. So maybe they were hedging their bets, saying, well, we probably could have waited until this summer, late summer, to come out with this console to be on better footing, but we also need to make money now. So our stockholders don't all uh, drop their drop the stock and the value plummets, and people have been waiting for this uh, game that's been delayed time and time and time again. So, could that hurt them? Absolutely, coming out in the spring. I'm not saying it's a good thing that this is coming out in the spring. I'm just saying it happened. We got to deal with it. So, here's the launch lineup of games. Really, five. One, two, switch, which I spoke about, which is. Like, we play, I think it'll sell... Uh, um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. That's a system seller to me. It's not the killer app. Because you can get it on the Wii U as well, technically. And uh, for what everyone's saying, uh, one of the main real differences is, yeah, 720p versus 1080p. I didn't expect anything less than that. Super Bomberman R. Konami finally comes uh, comes to their senses and says, hey, we got... Uh, we have these uh, uh, Hudson Soft properties we've been sitting on besides stupid mobile games. And let's do something with them. So Super Bomberman, Bomberman R, that looks pretty fun. Uh, a Skylanders game, okay. All right. And Just Dance 2007. 17, 2007. Was there one in 2007? Yeah, I think so. Just Dance 2017, which you probably can also get, I think, on, on, on the Wii U, probably. Uh, and then let's just put in the rest of March while we're here. Snipper Clippers, which is a uh, a puzzle game, which from what I hear so far, could be a sleeper hit. Uh, Fast RMX, uh, the sequel to Sleep, Sleepwalking RMX, I don't know. And Has Been Heroes, which is sort of an interesting 
16 uh, bit looking, uh, I guess, JRPG sort of sort of look. Is that a killer lineup for the first month of the systems out? No, it's not a killer lineup. Is it a terrible lineup? No, because everyone getting the system is going to get Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and they're going to be playing that for the first couple of months. And probably one or two of the other games. Probably most likely, if you buy Legend of Zelda, you're also going to get one, two Switch if you got kids, or Skylanders if you got kids. Otherwise, you're going to get probably Superman, Bomberman R, or take a chance with Snipper Clippers or Hasman Heroes to hold you over. Uh, so I'm not super concerned with that. Uh, but the, the, the amount of vitriol and sort of Nintendo's dead because the launch lineup's terrible. Uh, have you guys seen the other launch lineups? that Nintendo has had for their consoles. Do you realize that, you know, the Super Nintendo had a handful or, or, or less of launch titles? Do you realize that the N64 had two, two launch titles for it? Two. Super Mario 64 and Pilot Wing 64. Yeah, you can say, well, everyone wanted... Uh, Super Mario 64, so I'll say yes. And everyone wants Breath of the Wild. There are the few people out there that don't like Zelda. And that's like, for me, the people that don't like chocolate. Because yes, they exist. They're like 2% of the population. They're also usually insane. But they're out there. I think Ian doesn't like Zelda that much. But anyway, (laughs) they do exist. But yes, for the the vast, vast majority of people will buy uh, Breath of the Wild when they get their Switch. So I'm not concerned about that. But you know what other system that Nintendo put out not too long ago came out in March as well and had an awful worse than this launch lineup the Nintendo 3DS remember them remember the 3DS the Nintendo 3DS uh came out with these are the these were all of them now this is more than the total number the Nintendo first party games that came out when the 3DS launched and that came out, uh, what was that, March 27th, what was that, 2011? They launched with these games. The killer lineup of Pilot, Pilot Wings Resort, Steel Diver, and Nintendo Dogs Plus Cats. Nintendo Dogs Plus Cats. None of those three games are a system seller. I don't think any of those three games are going to be in anyone's the best 3DS games of all time list either. Here are the third-party games of 3DS. You're going to say, well, Pat, what about these games? Okay. All right. Super Street Fighter 4, 3D Edition. Sims 3, Madden Football, Pro Evolution Soccer, Lego Star Wars 3, Ridge Racer 3D, Super Monkey Ball 3D, Bust a Move Universe. All right. Samurai Warriors Chronicles, Asphalt 3D. What is that, like a... Choose your own adventure where you decide what, how you're going to repave your driveway. I have no idea. Combat of Giants, Dinosaurs 3D, Rayman 3D, and Ghost Recon Shadow Wars. I'd say overall, uh, just based upon the first party games, that's not uh, that much worse than, or even that much better. I, I, I'm trying to, it, it's all about what's the first party versus third party support. But when Nintendo consoles first come out, you're all about first-party titles, first-party titles, first-party titles, because that's why Nintendo will never give up selling hardware, because that's the only place you can get those first-party titles. So I think already, just based upon not even looking at the months ahead, that's the 3DS launch lineup is a lot weaker, a lot weaker than the Switch. 
And the 3DS sold horribly in the first year up until the holidays. They had to slash the price and remind people that, hey, we have a handheld system. But you know what? The 3DS rebounded. And the 3DS sold tens of millions and still is selling decently. Not great from what I hear over the holidays. I think it's a little, I think it's, yeah, it's 61 million 3DSs have been sold as of sometime last year. That's a big success for Nintendo. So a big success for Nintendo, also launched in March, had what I think was a poor or at least below average launch lineup and still managed to rebound. So this isn't a death knell for Nintendo. They had third-party games on the 3DS, a good amount, once it got going. And I think publishers and developers understand that, that they're not going to abandon a console after maybe a, a few months of, of bad sales. you got to give it some time. You can argue that, yeah, maybe they're, they have cold feet after the Wii U, but because the fact that a console comes out with not the best launch lineup, because really what console does come out with the best launch lineup doesn't mean you're not going to have third-party support. Nintendo, during the reveal, did say, now you can distrust them, I'm going to hold them to the word, they have 80 games, first and third-party, 80 games in development right now for the 3D, actually 3DS, for the Switch. Not saying they're all going to come out this year, but they're going to come out. Most of those are going to come out. So you probably get a, you know, you get, you'll get a few more dozen games by the fall or by, by the holiday season. You know? They'll be off to a start and they'll sell more. They'll be fine. They'll be floated for the first at least couple of months just on Legend of Zelda. They're going to float along with being, okay, all right, hey guys, we only have about eight other games, but you know, that Legend of Zelda sure is amazing. And by the way, it looks amazing. I'm not even going to comment on that trailer more than the fact that that's one of the most incredible trailers I've ever seen. For a game, I'm not even I'm not even like the I mean I love Zelda. I'm not even the, the biggest huge Zelda fan in terms of oh I gotta buy every new Zelda game and and beat it. I'm gonna buy this one, whether or not for the Wii U or Switch remains to be seen right away. But I'm gonna buy this one. I'm not sure about the Master Edition that's probably scalped right now, but whatever. So going back to the launch now, we're going back to the launch window uh, for this for this Switch. So you got those let's just say eight games for. For launch, because you got three Snipper Clippers also in March, uh, Fast RMX and Hazard Heroes. March 28th, you have Mario Kart. Again, these are only the ones that are confirmed. We don't, we're not sure about other ones that are going to be announced for sure. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is in late April. Uh, if you don't, I can see that being a pretty decent seller if you don't have it already. I think it'll sell marvelous, marvel, marvelously. If, it, if this was a launch title as well, I'd say no one would have, have any complaint. Because, hey, if you don't have a Wii U, not many people do. It's new to you. And Deluxe is going to add more racers and more courses, things like that. Uh, spring for 2017, you have ARMS, which looks like a more fun than it should be one-on-one fighting game where you have... It's in third person, and you use the Joy-Cons, and you move a little bit to throw the ARMS and you know come in with crosses. It's like Mr. Fantastic Simulator 1000. And yes, they confirmed there will be a way to play it without using motion. I don't like motion. Well, okay, you won't have to use it for this game or most of the games are going to have. Get over it. Motion's been around for 10 years now. Get the hell over it. Uh, this Gaia 5 Complete, no idea what that is. Puyo Puyo Tetris is going to be out in the spring. Uh, that looks fun. Uh, a game called Rhyme. Then for summer 2017, you have one confirmed title right now, Splatoon 2, which is really a beefed up Splatoon. Again, if you don't have Splatoon, I don't have Splatoon. If I have a, have a Switch, I'll probably pick it up. 
because it was a massive success. Arguably, not arguably, probably the biggest new IP for the uh, Wii U, and it's already coming back. Even if it's just an upgrade, that's going to sell well. Uh, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Hey, the game's six, seven years old, but you're going to get it on... <laughs> you're going to get it on your Switch. I- I'm not going to complain about it. It's, it's third-party support. Here's the killer app, folks. Super Mario Odyssey. <sighs> no, it's not available for launch. Should it have been? Would you ha- Would you have sold a ton more systems at launch? Probably. But I think that's going to, even if the Nintendo Switch is in the doldrums, the same way, remember, look back at your history, only six years ago, the same way, or less than, actually five years ago, five and a half, the same way the 3DS was on the fucking ropes uh, six months in, six months into its release, we were, everyone's talking like, what the hell is going on with this 3DS with no games? Even if the Switch is still there, which even looking at this list right here, I think it's in a better position to start. You got Super Mario Odyssey that's going to save it. That's going to be the killer app. It, it basically, as the N64 uh, had Super Mario 64 as a killer app, that's going to be the killer app. It's basically uh, Mario 64 2. I mean, if you for lack of a better term. You start out in New York City, which, you know, it is weird seeing uh, uh, sort of a goofy cartoon Mario humanoid next to like more realistic humans in New York City. I don't care. I think it looks fun. He's swinging around like freaking Spider-Man on poles and off of buildings. Uh, that's that'd be one to pick up. And then you have two more. Uh, excuse me, two more. Ten more games that are slated for 2017. Xenoblade Chronicles Two. That'll sell fairly well, at least fairly well, since the first one did. Uh, Ultra Street Fighter Two: The Final Challenge. All right, that's a game that's 26 years old, but Ultra Edition Minecraft. That'll sell well. I mean, don't discount the fact that, you know, people still think Nintendo's a kid's console. It's good to have Minecraft on there. Uh, you're going to have a FIFA game. EA was there. Uh, looked like they didn't want to be there at the presentation, but they're they're on board supporting. You know what? I think the true test is going to be, actually the only test, are you going to see a Madden game on the Switch? If you see a Madden game uh, on the Switch this fall, all right, we got third-party support. Now, supposedly, it's a lot, a lot easier to port games from the Xbox One and PS4 over to the the Switch, which was one of the reasons why, amongst the fact that they're, you know, uh, I think a lot of developers are going to like the pad, but one of the reasons why um, third parties dropped out, besides the lack of sales as well, but you could not port over games easily to the Wii U. For the Switch... If it's literally going to take you like less than a week to do that, maybe maybe you have to drop the frame rate down a little bit or the textures, if uh, texture detail, if uh, if the, if it turns out the power horse of the Tegra chip isn't up to snuff, well, they'll be doing that shit anyway because they're going to have three different PS4s and three different Xboxes out there with you know varying degrees of, of horsepower anyway. So I, I don't think that's a big deal. So you're going to get a FIFA game, Sonic Mania. I am Setsuna, no idea what that is. Steep, Siberia 3, uh, that NBA 2K game, all right. Third-party big sports game, okay. Two big ones, FIFA's a huge game. So it's the, that's the biggest game in the world for EAs. So you got that too. Um, and then Dragon Ball's Universe 2, all right. Then you also had Octopath Traveler 8000 or whatever, the funniest name ever, which isn't on this list. So I don't I don't hate this. I don't, I don't, I'm not overjoyed with this list of games, but again, 
this is not the final list of games that are going to come out this year. You're going to have more games. This is just what we know is definitely going to come out, that they are uh, comfortable enough announcing with, with a good degree of, of probability these games are going to come out. There will be more games. It's just what's going to be out there. That's enough to float them. If you're following, uh, if you're following along, uh, the sky's not falling. The 3DS was not a massive failure, failure, and the 3DS was following a sort of a similar model here in terms of March release, uh, maybe one or two big first-party games, and then get to the holidays. All right, now let's let's see something. Let's see something now. Show us something. So that's fine. In terms of number that they're shipping out, they're going to be shipping out. Um, Two million Reggie fees make it from two million for worldwide for the month of March. So really, the first few weeks of March. Um, I think that's not a bad number for again a springtime release, which is when that's a dead time for releasing uh, games for the most part. Usually, it's like you get to early summer, then definitely the fall, and then the holiday seasons. Those are like the three big ones. Two million. I think it's enough to suffice so that you're not going to have massive shortages. Yes, you'll have assholes always scalping these freaking things. And yes, they were sold out within, basically within a day, they were all the pre-orders sold out. But from 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 the anecdotal evidence I've seen, people have, go, have gone to their local GameStops and have seen them in stock there. So it's not like you're going to have a Wii shortage problem, uh, and especially for the holidays. You know, they're not going to be a short... Let's put it this way. If there's a shortage for the holidays, the same there was for the, the Wii for even a year in, uh, yeah, you can take those again. Uh, Nintendo is dying and never going to produce hardware again and shovel even more dirt on those arguments if this is still going to be uh, have a shortage by the fall. But $2 million for the first month, I think, is acceptable. And I think uh, from that point on, we'll get a better gauge. But so far, though, I think they're selling fairly well. I have not checked my local GameStop. But from what I've seen, uh, each GameStop is stocking about 25 to 30 in each in each one. Again, that's not a huge number, but it's also not a, an inexcusable amount like 5 or 6 for the NES Classic Edition. So 30, I can live with that. Uh, we'll see. Check your local stores and see if they're sold out yet. That's all I can say uh, for that. So getting back to the 3DS sales. I brought it up before that they sold 61 million of them. I think it's a probably a long shot for Nintendo to hit that number. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility to hit 30, uh, 60, excuse me, 61 million. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Let's look at what the past few uh, consoles, uh, what happened here. 3DS, 61 million and counting. Wii U, 13 million and probably dripping to a fast halt. We'll say 13... We'll just say 13 and 60, okay? Just to be safe, and who knows, the 3DS can do even another million. Uh, Reggie Fizeme said they're still supporting it. There are games still planned for the 3DS. I'd say, in my head, you probably got a year and a half, two years left max on the 3DS. What do I know, though? But but hey, third-party developers love the 3DS because 60 million is a pretty big freaking number, especially for a handheld. That's a gigantic freaking number uh, out there. I'm going to say... Based upon the fact that uh, a couple of factors, one I'll get into in a second, that it's, it's hard to say at this point. We are not going to know 
if this is going to be a failure or not. We definitely don't know before it's released, based on the fact that you out there hate the the launch titles, that it's going to be a failure, because that's really short-sighted and alarmist and not reasonable, because, hell, if you did that with the 3DS, you were fucking proven wrong. You people saying that now, were you saying that in 2011? Probably so. So you can't go by that, the fact that it's coming out in March and you think it has a week launch uh, window of games. Let's wait until after the holidays. Let's see how it goes. Or at least up to the holidays. Let's see if it's selling out during the holidays. So my prediction at this point, based on nothing, besides the fact that, well, two things. The 3DS did pretty bad for its first year. This is kind of, but then it didn't shot up through the freaking moon. This is kind of the replacement for that. So you're going to have a lot of people seeing this as the replacement for the 3DS and also the replacement for the Wii U at the same time. Or both. So, Pat Math, 13 out of 61 is about... What is that? It's uh, 35%. So 35% uh, maximum overlap between people having a Wii U and a uh, 3DS. 35%. Right? You with me? Actually, it's, it's, it's actually... It's, it's only... Let's see. No, that's 25%. 25%. Sorry, Pat Math is coming off sometimes. About 24, 25% of, of Wii U saturation versus 3DS. GameCube. I think we're going to be... Let's start with the GameCube. GameCube had 21 million. By the way, I like the fact that during the presentation, they had a little retro sort of nostalgic moment when they said, okay, let's, let's look back at everything we got. Oh, on the NES, we learned that uh, we got a cross pad on our controller and... Uh, and stuff, and we got a uh, and a rob that no one cares about. They didn't bring that up. Super Nintendo, we added triggers. N64, we have an analog joystick. All these first for controllers. GameCube, we have a handle on our got a handle as a selling point. And then obviously we motion controls, Wii U tablet. So they're trying to say they're incorporating everything from the past what seven consoles uh, into. Uh, or six consoles, well, I can't count, Pat Math, into the Switch. Mm, handle, portable, Switch is portable. Uh, they're kind of fudging that one. Anyway, GameCube did 21 million, is kind of finally remembered. Did not have the best third-party support, had okay third-party support, not great. Um, and had strong first-party titles. I think it's a safe bet to say the Switch will do at least as well as the GameCube based upon uh, the factors of replacement to the Wii U, chunk of 3DS, people are going to see this as an upgrade as well. My, my prediction at this point, based on absolutely nothing, is I think you're going to look at this doing at least a little bit better than the GameCube did, but maybe surprising you. So on the soft side, I'm going to say, when this is all said and done, you can go back and to whenever, whenever I'm recording this, January 14th, 2017, market. Uh, you're going to see this do at least, I want to say something like 24 million worldwide sales as a, as my softer bet. And then I'm going to say the sort of reach goal, reach goal. You're never going to hit 3ds. Maybe you get to like 42 million. Maybe you get to like two thirds of 3ds. That's my range. Probably closer to 30 though. 30 to 35, but maybe we say 24 to be safe. I'm going to say that's my safe bet, my almost almost gun to my head 
uh, bet is $24 million, uh, of these. Because of the replacement and the, the replacement of the 3DS, replacement of the Wii U combination. However, the one point I want to get to that I've seen no one talk about, and not, not saying it's because I'm smarter than you. I might be, but probably not. Pat's arrogant. Well, um, what I didn't really see anyone comment on was one of the main reasons, not the only reason, lack of third-party support. Um, people didn't like the tablet. They just weren't into it. They still didn't have a good uh, infrastructure for online. The Wii U... The name itself, the marketing, and you can even say the look of the console even a little bit, didn't differentiate itself from the Wii enough with the quote-unquote casual audience, enough to saturate them in order then to even realize that this new console even exists and I want to get interested in it. Do you recall how many Wii U commercials you saw in the first year or two? That that console was even out in the marketplace. I remember seeing one or two commercials the first holiday season that it was even out, and after that, you saw game at one or two games. I remember seeing commercials for after that. I saw no mainstream press for the Wii U that I can remember or recall. No buzz at all about the Wii U. Say what you will about the Switch. People are talking about this a lot more than they were talking about the Wii U. So by default, more interest for even no there's no such thing as bad publicity even for this. This isn't going to be like Gamecom, where bad publicity is bad publicity. This is people at least are taking notice of this console, and maybe that's why Nintendo wanted to even wait till the spring. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not rushing out for the holiday. May have something to do with it. If it was ready for the holiday, you know, they want to stand out. But the fact that the Switch was already on Jimmy Fallon. That alone gave the Switch overall more mainstream exposure than the entire what are we at now? Four and a half year lifespan of the Wii U. One appearance on a late night talk show with an exuberant Kitty Lake which is a good thing because he was excited about it Jimmy Fallon did more for the good name of Nintendo and for promoting this Switch than whatever the hell awful marketing they did for the Wii U, which had accomplished nothing. That's a big one. The fact that it's called the Switch, which isn't a terrible name, but guess what? The GameCube wasn't a good name either. It just wasn't. The Wii... People at first were like, what? Oh, Wii, Wii, PP. <laughs> they eventually, eventually it caught on, and now you can't imagine the Nintendo uh, Wii being called anything else. You know, GameCube Project Dolphin. You know, that's not going to stick. The NX, uh, the NX doesn't really say anything. The Switch, you know, it's got some sexual connotation, but um, <laughs> it makes sense because it describes the system. You switch from portable to console. It has a clicking switch sounds. A click, you know, when you put the freaking Joy Cons in. I don't, I don't mind that either. So, Switch is a fine name. Most importantly, it's not connected with the Wii. When the Wii U was unveiled at E3 2011, and I was there, most of the audience had no idea it was a new console. We kind of knew, but from the presentation, from the fact that it, that the console was shaped the same way 
as the Wii. It was the same color. And yes, they did change it to black, smart on them. But I think it was, I think the damn was already done, especially since they had a white version of the Wii U that came out, which was the fucking basic economy model, which by the way, I'm so happy that there's no dumb economy uh, basic model of the Switch, just one with different colors. Anyway, the fact that Wii U had Wii in it, a large chunk of people, not inside this video game news bubble that we are in, honestly thought that the Wii U was simply an add-on for the Wii. And that killed it from the start. Nintendo did an awful job at the time letting people know that this was not an add-on. Hell, they had to come out at that E3 and tell the freaking journalists shortly after that, oh no, this is this is a new system. Like, the journalists, some were, were, it wasn't communicated. When you had stuff coming out before that, like the Wii Fit, the Wii Motion Plus, every accessory and everything said Wii. Why wouldn't, out of those, get on those casual people, the hundred million that that make sure Nintendo's going to be in existence until after the apocalypse, even if you say say, I don't know, say 30 million of those, of those people, or 40 million of those people, or 50, it's safe to say those were the dirty casuals. We'll say, we'll be safe and say only 50 million people. It's probably more than that. Or the people that bought it liked it, and didn't come back for the, the Wii U, or maybe even the 3DS. Well, 60 million 3DS, maybe they did. We'll just say 50 million. Apparently, Nintendo did an awful job getting the word out that that was a new console. Because people like gaming. You can say, oh, those people never played games again. Hello? Smartphone? Mobile devices? At the very least. At the very least. Nintendo did an awful job getting them back on board. And and the name, the Wii U, did not do them any favors. So, this is the point that I don't think has been brought up enough. There's a chunk of people out there in the vast wilderness that still don't... (laughs) It sounds crazy to me and you, but they it, they still don't know that the Wii U was a different system. That wasn't marketed to them. There was no good advertising out there. So how would they know? So 10 years later, if Nintendo does it right, they show advertisement. It's been on Jimmy Fallon. Um, they see this game called Breath of the, of the Wild, which Nintendo should push to the freaking moon. All these factors put together. You have a you have tens of millions of people out there that might I'm not saying definite, but there's a chance get back on board for the switch because hey it's ten years later maybe I have kids now here's a cool system for kids and hey I didn't know there was a Wii U which why they, would they say that but oh cool I bought that Wii ten years ago in my mid twenties when I did cocktail parties we did bowling and tennis ten years later I'm gonna check out this switch is that crazy? Was it crazy what I just said, or did that make even a little bit of sense, sense that that's a that's a not just a small possibility, but a decent possibility you're going to capture some of those casuals again and get them back in the fold with a cute, a cute, colorful system with a tablet that hooks into a TV that's three hundred dollars, which ten years from two thousand six when the Wii came out isn't that bad, and I, I think that's reasonable. Again, I'm not saying that's gonna uh, the, the Switch isn't gonna sell 100 million like the Wii, but hell, out of that factor alone, you might get five or 10 million people back easily. That's a possibility. 
So for all these factors alone, this is not going to be a failure. I'm not going to say it's going to be a massive success. I'm not going to say it's going to do 3DS numbers again. It's definitely not going to do Wii U. But it's not going to do Wii U numbers and, and, and burn to the ground. That's definitely not going to happen either. But time will tell again. We'll see it in the spring. We'll see where the numbers are at. I am cautiously optimistic about this. I am not 100% sold. But we'll put it this way. Uh, I didn't think I had to buy a Wii U. I think I didn't get one. It took me like 9, 12, 13 months. I didn't get one until Mario Kart was freaking out for the system just about. So I'm going to pick up the Switch a lot sooner. I'm not going to say it's going to turn into a Switch Let's Play channel. But uh, I'm on board with this. I'm not gung-ho fanboy on board, but uh, I, I like the direction this is going. And that's it for now. And uh, yeah, we'll see who's right. We'll see if uh, Nintendo has at least a moderate success with, uh, with, the, uh, with the Switch. Or if they go third party and you see Mario Odyssey on Xbox One. Like, like that's going to freaking happen. You know, I, the one last thing about people saying Nintendo's going to abandon hardware... Uh, uh, Pat, and this isn't even going to be Pat math. This is just common sense math. All right, N- N- Nintendo gives up hardware because the Wii U is a failure or whatever. Like, d- did you forget the 3DS was a massive success? I-, I like to, I like that people like to throw out the fact that hardware also includes handhelds and portables, which again, which is what the Switch is going to be as well. Uh, so they did 61 million. One, two, three, four, five, six, and then we'll just say the average 3DS price. Was you know what even 150 bucks, but it's probably closer to, to 200 overall average when it came out in the XL. I'll, you know we'll split the difference 175, 175. I can't even read that m- number, but it looks like in terms of gross sales, that's over a billion dollars. 1.0675 to the power of uh, of E10. Nintendo did over a billion dollars. Uh, what is that? One oh six. Nintendo did over a billion dollars, <laughs> not profit, but gross in 3DS sales. You think they're going to give up even that small possibility? Even if they do half of that or a quarter of that, they're going to give up uh, a four hundred or, or half a billion dollars in potential uh, gross revenue. You're out of your mind. All right, you guys still with me? Now we're an hour into the podcast. <laughs> magically an hour and six minutes into the podcast roughly so i uh, hope you enjoyed that now we'll get back to some retro gaming news there was a steam events complete in box auction that just ended on january 10th it went for thirty thousand one hundred dollars it also included a family fun fitness pad uh complete missing the manual uh, but also includes the original Athletic World, which was the packing game with with no manual. Same manual, Pat. It wasn't a special manual, I don't think, for it. Anyway, there's no manual. I got the manual of mine. <laughs> anyway, so this went for $30,000. We'll just say the other stuff probably based upon past sales and everything. I don't know, $1,000. It was probably just an extra. We'll just say statements went for $30,000. Maybe slightly less, though, if you don't count. Most people were not bidding on the other items included there the athletic world complete in boxy film that's arguably the second rarest title to get in the box besides stadium events um and the family fun fitness pad which usually doesn't go for that much in the box you know should so uh am i surprised about this uh, yes and no 
I'm surprised because we are, we are in a situation now when it comes to these games where I really think we're seeing the absolute height of prices for these games. So if you're a collector out there that doesn't have a Steam events, then yeah, you're going to pay whatever. You're going to pay through the nose to get it. But we're also in a climate where we now know that besides this copy and anyone, any others that are out there, we now know there's at least 18 sealed statement event copies that were revealed last year via my pal and your pal out there, Tim Atwood. And that he has six remaining that he has not sold nor given away yet. And I'm not saying that the CU podcast has a huge amount of pull out there in the vast nether regions of the internet. Nether regions, what? But what I'm saying is is that if you follow this stuff at all, you know about Tim Atwood and you know about those six statement events that he still has in his possession that are sealed new. So with all that said, I'm, that's why I'm surprised this went for this much amount of money. Like if you're patient, you'll be able to get a statement events, box statement events. I'm not saying you're going to get one in a year or two, but they're going to come out. Maybe not Tim Atwood's copies anytime soon, but those eventually will get out. They're not going to be forever, you know, to sitting around, but other copies are out there. That's why I think at this point it's becoming a waiting game where who's going to, who's going to give in to their willpower first. The people that are still holding on to these high end titles who, that some of them have owned multiple copies of, or the person that thinks are desperate enough that I got to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get a video game. Of course, though, if you're spending $30,000, it's probable that you have that expendable income that you can afford it, even though there are people out there that make really stupid decisions, which I'll get into in a a minute. So the condition of this box game, it's not even the best condition one. It's obviously not a sealed one. I think they described it as a box is, uh, they said, four out of five. Taking a quick look at it. I mean, one of the problems is we don't have a... a, uh, it's not. A, it's definitely not a four out of five. It's definitely not that. It's not an eight out of ten. When I'm looking at it, there's scuff marks on the left side. There's uh, damage on the right side of the box. The corners are all damaged. Uh, I, I would be generous in saying it a three out of five. Uh, so then again, you got to pump up the value of the item. One of the problems is we don't have a a nice uh, unified grading system uh, the way they do for comic books to to grade the condition of cartridges, manuals, or boxes. Maybe that'll be my thing I do in my 40s. If I'm bored, is that I'm going to come up with or hire a team to come up with a unified set of rules the same way that the comics creating people have. So that, so that there's really not a, much discussion between what's a 7 out of 10 comic book versus an 8 or 8.5. Yes, we have that for fucking cellophane grading, which still doesn't make any sense to me. Whichever. It's sold. It's sold for 30 grand, which is still a lot of money. Uh, I don't think there's been an open auction for a Steam events complete in box open auction uh, for a while now. I want to say at least a year or two. So that's important as well. We don't know, obviously, all the private sales. With private sales can go for more, but then again, private sales is a whole another beast. Because the private sales means it's not open to the whole world. Um, it's really just a cat and mouse game between that between the seller and the buyer. There's so many other factors go into it. So, so you really, it's really hard to gauge... Uh, a value of, of items through private sales you never find out about. Um, especially if they go for uh, a lot more, you never find out about it, or you hear stuff years and years later. It's like, who the fuck knows uh, how to gauge the price? So, 
Will we see other Steam Events games go for thirty thousand? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've been saying for uh, Ian as well for at least a year that we think this is going to start trickling back down, or at least we've seen the sort of end of the push upwards. And remember, this also could have got buoyed a little bit by that uh, Steam Events article on ESPN.com uh, about a month ago, uh, six weeks ago where yours truly was quoted uh, on. So we've got some factors going on here. But I do know that, and this is not just me. This comes from Ian. This comes from big-time collectors I talked to in Europe, Pats International, that they, many people, either see a bubble forming or they see just collectors with large collections start to sell out and get out. Uh, I've seen it myself. I've seen it with a YouTuber. Uh, saying I'm going to sell up my collection. Please don't say anything because I don't want the value, and I don't want the, I don't want the values to go down, and I don't want people to be scared because they think that lots of people are selling out. It's not a secret, though. I mean, you you, you the in the collector circle, it's not hard. It's it's hard to keep this shit a secret because you know who the bigger collectors are. Usually, you know what's out there. When you start seeing all the high ticket items start being sold or chunks more than what they used to even a couple years ago, you know that something's going on. So I mean it's so from from my friend in Europe he says yeah I've seen this happening now um for a couple of years where people are starting to sell this stuff out and it's usually what I said and what Ian said is that it's usually these collectors that get into it later than than the previous generation of collectors or two generations they get in they get in quickly and then they they sell out because again it's when you see thousands of dollars leave your bank account within a year or two that's a lot different than thousands of dollars leaving it over 15 years over 10 years even over five six seven years and people are like what the hell's going on or maybe they got a family they got a girlfriend that wants all the shit out of here not that i've heard that um maybe they want to move into a, a place not drag all the crap with them maybe it's a smaller place they're moving into maybe they just need more cash maybe i don't know maybe they want to get that breast augmentation i could use one anyway Something's going on here, though. And that's why I'm surprised by this, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. I just said absolutely nothing, by the way. Uh, but I'll, I'll be surprised if we see another one of these come up at open auction and go for this uh, amount of money, especially in this condition. This could be one of these, you know, this could be one of those uh, impulse buys by someone who's not really a, a, a game collector that just knows the name of this from the ESPN article and figures, oh, this is going to be worth a ton of money as an investment. God, I hate saying that, especially with a piece of crap like Stadium Events. As an investment, man, that really is not a four out of five box. I'm looking at it, there's like sticker marks on it on the top. I mean, I'm on eBay. You can blow up the picture. Four out of five. In what world is that a four out of five? I, I know you got to pump up your 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 your, uh, your, pro- your item for sale, but holy shit, dude. Some, some ethics here. Anyway... So, um, we'll see. We'll see if it was an impulse buy by, you know, an investor or someone that said, hey, I wanted this game for years, or I'm, I'm trying to complete my collection eventually, eventually even, I'm completing box, so I, need, I know I need to get the Horus one out of the way now. Uh, and that's all I got to say. This has been your, um, your designated Steam Events topic for this CU podcast. Retro bit who have produced uh, various consoles, you know, new retro consoles and controllers. They just come out with that. What is it? Retro Bit Generations, uh, which we spoke about when it came out. So that was an all-in-one console that had, like, Capcom games, Jalico games on it, 
goes for like 60 bucks. Uh, I don't think it's gotten the best reviews, unfortunately, due to some issues with um, uh, emulation speeds uh, and things of that nature, stretch games. But uh, RetroBit's coming out with something new. Uh, Capcom-themed controllers and Jalico multi-carts are coming out in 2017. Um, so... They're going to have USB controllers and for retro platforms. So they're going to go after uh, the NES and Super Nintendo market and NES Classic Edition, as well as USB for PC and Mac. Um, first off, for God's sake, people, for all you hardware manufacturers out there, look at the picture right now. Please do not put the B&A buttons on an NES controller in an upward diagonal slant. Do not do it in an upwards diagonal slant because there's some games like Double Dragon where you have to hit B and A at the same time. So either keep them in a freaking row so I can hit them with my thumb at the same time or put them in a downwards diagonal slant. The natural sort of positioning of the hand so that I can hit those two buttons at once. When you do the fucking reverse, which is what that stupid dog bowl controller does, uh, it makes it so much harder to hit both B and A at the same time. Because then you got to, like, awkwardly tilt your wrist in to hit them both at the same time. Anyway, that aside. Uh, <laughs> I'm insane. So they're going to have skins on these controllers. They're going to have a Ghosts and Goblins one, Mega Man, uh, and Street Fighter 2. With uh, Ryu on there. And it looks like uh, the Ghost and Goblin one's pretty cute. It's got Arthur on there. Whatever, it's harmless. They license out the art and fucking put them on the controllers that they've had laying around. Uh, th- and they're, they're going to be for nineteen ninety nine each. Whatever. That's pretty harmless to me. I don't care so much about that either way. Uh, I more care about the quality of the controllers. I do not have any, any experience with Retrobit controllers personally to know if they're going to be good or not. But what's more exciting to me are the multi-carts coming out. Uh, for NES, Game Boy, and Super Nintendo. And they're going to be all Jalico games. God, Jalico. Who doesn't love Jalico? Who the hell owns Jalico? Is that, is that Capcom? Jalico. What the hell happened to Jalico? Our buddy's Jalico. Uh, quick, we'll go down memory lane a little bit. Jalico was founded October 3rd, 1974 as the Japan Leisure Company Limited. That's a fast forward... Uh, November 1st, 2000, Jalco was acquired by Hong Kong company PCCW. Uh, Immersion of something called Jalco Entertainment. New U.S. division can be found in Buffalo, New York. All right, Ian. I know you, I know you were an intern there at some point at Jalico. Uh, Hyperlink uh, sold the stock in Jalico. Oh, my God. It's, this company has been sold about 12 times the past 15 years. This is unbelievable. Oh, my God. Uh, then it changed the name to MCOM Holdings in 2009. Oh, Christ. Delisted from the some sort of Japanese stock exchange. All right, so it's still Jalico somehow, but a holdings company bought it. Good old holding companies. Um, yeah. So th- getting back to this before I go out of my freaking mind on this podcast, uh, a little too late for that. But here's what you got. The Super Retro 22-in-1. Uh, it's going to feature a bunch of games. I am familiar with some of these, not all of them. Okay? Then I'll tell you if it's worth it. Argus, never heard of it. Astaniax, base is loaded, base loaded too. 
Bashy Bazook, never heard of it. City Connection, Ian's favorite freaking game in the universe. Espercore, Exerion, which was a game that never came out here, was on the Famicom. Field Combat, another one of those Famicom games that never came out here, you find on multi-carts. Formation Z, Good Old Hoops, Ju-Du Warriors, Monster Club, Ninja Jaja Maroon-Kun, Ninja Jaja Maroon no no Dabuken, no idea. Pinball Quest, come out on the NES. Pizza Pop, no idea. Plasma Ball, uh, Rodland, uh, the Black Bass of Blue Marlin, and Totally Red, which I think I gave three stars in certain NES guidebook to Totally Red. Uh, not the strongest lineup. I mean, it's only 20 bucks. So if it's on, you know what? I'd give it a shot. You know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to be fair. To me, it's going to come down to, though, you know, it's going to come down to, obviously, those ones I never freaking heard of. Uh, Pizza Pop, the Ninja Games, Monster Club. Are those going to be worth it? Because I've played some of these ones, like Xerion, Field Combat, uh, obviously Black Bass, Blue Marlin, Totally Red. Actually, those Blue Marlin and Black Bass are good fishing games if you're into that. But overall, I'm not super impressed by that. Here's the Super Retro Tenno one for Game Boy. These, I almost know none of them. All right? So I can't even comment on if this is a good deal or not for these 10 games. Avenging Spirit, Banishing Racer, Bases Loaded, Battle Z- Unit Zeoth, Fortified Zone, Hero Pinball Party, Ikari no Usai 2, Maru's Mission. Oh, all right. I've heard of that. I think I've heard of that one. Rodland again and Soldem. 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 All right. Here's the Super Nintendo, the Super Retro 10 and 1. Big Run, I never heard of that. Brawl Brothers, Operation Logic Bomb, uh, Rival Turf, which is not that good. Super Base is loaded, uh, which I had, which is not that good. Super Earth Defense uh, Force, uh, Super Professional Baseball 2, I don't think that came out here. The Ignition Factor, The Peacekeepers, and Tough Enough, which is not that good. So just based upon the ones that I know, uh, Jalico's run on the Super Nintendo was not memorable. Not memorable. Operation Logic Bomb. Let me remember what that one was. Operation Logic Bomb. Because that to me is like one of the best names ever. Uh, let's let's look at Operation Logic Bomb to see how fun this one looked real quick. All right. All right. That looks like a pretty, you know, overhead running gun shooter. All right. Whatever. I mean, that's, you're, not, you're not doing the, the game any favors by naming, naming it after a fucking puzzle game, Operation Logic Bomb. It's, it's almost like in uh, some sort of a... Uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, he's shooting them. Like some sort of like Alien uh, Syndrome type of game. Uh, but maybe a little more advanced. Uh, again, cautiously optimistic about uh, the Super Retro 22-1 for the NES. Uh, and then for the 10-1s for the Game Boy and Super Nintendo, I'll probably pass at this point but I, I wanted to comment on this because we're not getting to the point where you know all these companies are starting to pump out as much as they can to capitalize on this uh, on this market for all the uh, you know defunct properties but Jalico you know there's some better I love Jalico you know I, hell you got hoops on the Nintendo one yeah you know I want that Nintendo one I'll probably get a hold of that Nintendo one at some point but uh, will you see a, like a Capcom version of this uh, probably not uh, the properties are probably too valuable to put on a $20 cartridge. I mean, hell, I mean, I could have freaking licensed out the games for that amount then. Holy crap. We've talked about the Conan O'Brien Clueless Gamer segment series I've had on the show from time to time. Usually with celebrities where they just sit down and play games that Conan O'Brien will 
you know, he's the clueless gamer. He's, you know, Conan O'Brien's, what, early 50s by now? Um, and, you know, he immediately isn't a big video gamer. But, like, I'm looking at, oh, on this one here. It, it was, uh, one of the episodes was Seth Rogen and Zac Efron are probably on to promote, uh, what, what the hell was that? Uh, Frat Boys 2. What the hell was that movie called that came out last year? Um, but they had one with uh, Marshawn Lynch and um, Gronkowski uh, right before that Super Bowl a few years ago of the uh, Seahawks versus the Patriots, and they played, I think, Mortal Kombat X, uh, for example. Oh, Neighbors 2, not Frat Boys 2. Same same movie. Uh, but anyway, this one they were playing Mario Kart 8. So the gist of it is that Conan O'Brien is clueless. And the gist of it also is that it's basically um, it's advertising for the games. It's it's sponsored segments. Some of them. My my my, my problem with the show is that it's not as clearly stated. I, from the few I saw, it was never clearly stated up front. That you know, hey guys, this is a paid advertisement, or this segment sponsored by, you know, Midway for Mortal Kombat X. If I'm wrong, don't slay me. Just the ones I've seen, I've never seen it explicitly stated, which obviously is a requirement if they're paying you for product placement and to goof on it. Uh, that you have to disclose that with with the Federal Trade Commission. That's why I've gone on in the past. Also, I th- I thought it was sort of a cop out to sort of have Conan Bryan get into playing video games when obviously that's not his market, and he knows he can just try to get a younger audience. Again, though, it's smart to do that because hell, you want to evolve and stay with the times. I understand that, so I'm not killing the guy for it. I just think it's kind of just a little bit sort of just phony on its surface. But it's a big deal. To get in with the younger crowd and go on YouTube. So these videos, so this Mario Kart 8 one, for example, that I saw, that was funny. They drew little penises on his his face after he lost his race. Four million views. That's a lot of views. Not enough view, views to make money. Uh, so it's more or less probably bonus bonus sponsorship money if you can go out to uh, a company and say. Yeah, we're going to show you on TV, but also to the core audience uh, that people actually want to buy your shit, the people watching on YouTube, we can get millions of people. And so, yeah, pay us, you know, fifty, seventy-five thousand $75,000 for that on top of however you're going to pay us to feature it on the segment. And that's where the value is to these developers and publishers. That's where the value is. Because that's how it works with big YouTubers. They get paid money. And I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying that's where the value is for them. Because the people watching, first of all, no one's watching Conan O'Brien to buy video games. First and foremost, they're watching it to have fun and laugh and watch celebrities. But where am I going with all this roundabout speak? There is going to be, according to the Hollywood Reporter, uh, beginning in February, there's going to be a, a show called Clueless Gamer, like a spinoff of this segment. According to uh, the article, the Clueless Gamer series will keep the same general formula as the existing web series where Conan plays video games and makes fun of them, oftentimes with celebrities at his, at his side. Some games on Clueless Gamer will be on as a form of advertising, but the show has been such a hit with publishers are just now giving Conan their new games and hope that he'll promote them. Oh boy, oh no, they're going to be getting paid though. Um, yeah. Of course they're going to give the games to Conan. So, if I have a game coming out, I'm going to give it to Conan to, to promote on the show because that's a ton of free publicity. They're going to have to pony up some cash for some, unless this is a popular game like a Mario Kart 8 or a Mortal Kombat, where uh, it'd be smart for Conan to do it just for the laughs and the fact that it's a popular game already. Uh, there's going to be some games on here that are that I'm not going to say are be questionable that you know uh, paid Conan's 
uh, people to get on the show. I mean, that's just that's just business. Not not faulting him for that, but let's be let's be real here. Uh, da, da, da. I don't have a problem with this on on the, its surface. the The issue with me is more from a business standpoint, though, is that the 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 mode or I guess format of a thirty minute show or hour show to promote video games is dead. It's absolutely dead. Attack of the show G four. They cannot be sustained. They're gone. Even websites like game trailers that that run sort of some longer format stuff and just focused on gaming. Hell, that could have, could sustain itself totally. You know, YouTube is where where all this information is now. Where all the promo is, all the new trailers, um, all the video. You want to see someone yell and scream while they play a video game. You want to see first first early look footage. You want to see a quick reaction video. You want to see a stupid reaction video while someone's watching an announcement. It's all on YouTube. Any iteration of video game news and entertainment is on. Uh, any and all iterations is on YouTube for that. So this will not be a successful show in terms of uh, ratings because you're not going to have people, the core audience of people that watch Conan's show, I, ca- I can't picture them all of a sudden tuning into a a daily f- show for sure, but even a, a weekly video game show, why wouldn't those people be on uh, YouTube looking at shit? You know, how, how are you going to communicate to the people that a lot of the younger people, the younger people don't even have cable TV anymore? How are you going to even communicate to them that, hey, coming up is going to be, you know, we're going to be playing uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe this week on the good old Nintendo Switch. So I'm not saying I want it to fail. I'm just saying there's not going to be an audience that you'll be able to find to watch it on cable television. So, so you're going to say, well, Pat, put the whole show on YouTube. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that for cable shows because then the value to the cable advertisers for the commercials is absolutely lost entirely uh, then. Uh, will they put segments out on YouTube? Absolutely. But again, that's not going to pay for the production of the show. And it's not going to make up, make up for, the, for the, I think, the people that won't tune in to watch it. Um, so for example, if like this, this Mario Kart 8 segment did 4 million, uh, views, that's not a small amount of money, but that's like what, uh, even if they got 2000 per, uh, per click, that's, they grossed like $8,000 on that, which that could be even high. That's not enough to run a show, a huge cable TV show with dozens of employees. That's just not enough. So the, the YouTube revenue for uh, for Team Coco, the, the YouTube revenue is almost like just a bonus. It's more important just to get, you know, to maintain their relevancy and and have clips on YouTube. So people remember, hey, there's a Conan O'Brien show out there. There's a Conan O'Brien show out there. All you 15 year olds, you didn't you didn't watch it back in the day in NBC. Uh, you know, you were too young. But there's there's this Conan O'Brien show, and there's this guy Conan O'Brien that's cool. So check out some of the stuff here. So so we're not totally forgotten. By generation, you know, Gen Y and before. What's the, what's the generation after that? Z. Can we come up with a better generation system, by the way, of lettering X, Y, and Z? I mean, can we come up with something else? I'm like in between X and Y. What am I, I'm like a generation chromosome over here. We have just a different system, please. <laughs> I don't know how I got into a tangent of talking about uh, the generation system, but it always bothered me. Baby Boomer sounds cool. Generation X sounds too cool for itself, and then Y is just being lazy. Yeah, after that. Anyway, so I, I don't think this is going to be a huge success. 
it might be sort of a just a, a nice ploy to get uh, video game developers and publishers to pay uh, Team Coco of Conan O'Brien uh, production to play the games in the show and have them make money. Which again, I don't I don't fault them for, but I don't see this being a success on cable TV. I received this message from at least I don't know, not even exaggerating, thirty people that they hacked the NES Classic Edition. And before before you get on me, I knew it was going to happen at some point. I'm not a total idiot. I'm, I knew they were going to unlock it. But I did tweet out that it wouldn't be a big deal if it happened, which I still don't think it is, but I'll get into. Um, and I don't think it would affect much. So before I get into that, do I think it's cool that they hacked the NES Classic Edition? Absolutely. I think it's really cool that they dug into there. Because if nothing else on the NES Classic Edition, it's a convenience, it's the cool look of it, the shell, and the, the GUI, the graphical user interface, is really, really just highly polished. You didn't expect anything less from Nintendo, but you didn't expect this to be like a fucking main front end just listing out the games and then having a screenshot of each game. And, you know, like this is this is very, really well put together. Besides the, the really cute, uh, bubbly uh, music you have on there. And, and yeah, uh, you have the three different uh, options and you only have four save states, which I'll get into for each game. So, uh, modders, both modders, 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 both in Russia and Japan hacked this. And from what I see, let's see, have we gotten to over ninety games yet that you can put on this? Uh, da, da, da. It's about ninety. I saw one video where it was eighty-four. So, one of the issues here, and one of the reasons why I said "quote unquote" doesn't matter, is that this is not an easy, uh, out of the box sort of solution. Uh, for playing all these games. Before I get into the issue of the fact that you you don't you can't get the entire library on there right now, that might change. But the process for doing this, without getting into the nitty gritty, it's not. There's no like SD card slot on the NES, on the NES Classic Edition. It's locked, so you have to hook it up and have it recognized basically as a hard drive device on your computer via a program. Uh, was it Ubuntu? Did I say that correctly? Then after you do that, you run a program where you can basically, basically you have to do a few different things. You have to get the ROM for each game, but then you have to get the box art on there as well, since that's also on the interface. What from what I saw was cool because you, after you put in the name and everything, uh, you have to you can search for the image yourself or I guess, or add it from your computer, but it's built in the, the search function is built in. So you can go and grab the box art image and all the NES games have had their boxes scanned. They're out there on cover project, other sites. So yeah, this has to, this whole process is, is repacking the, the hardware kernel. You got to flash the hardware again. It's not extremely complicated. It's just a little bit of a pain in the ass to do that. Uh, you have to add all these games manually go through the steps of each one, you know, putting in all the information for it, uh, for, you know, uh, title, year it came out, number of players, basically everything you see in the NES Classic Edition menu, a number of players, you have to do here as well. Will I do this at some point? Maybe. Uh, one of the people, so one person got on me on Twitter saying, Pat, you don't like this because it's too complicated for you, you're, you're old. Oh my God. You're talking to someone that's dealt with flashcards before, and I freaking constructed my own goddamn MAME cabinet and wired up my own uh, 
control panel with like 60 inputs. So that's not it. I'm, I'm just thinking about who is this for this hack and who are you going to reach with this hack? That's what my concern is. Cause right now the only amount of memory they've been able to access, uh, has been enough to get about 90 games on it. So that's a problem right there. If you can't get every game on there, then again, God help you. If you're going to sit there and some people would sit there and, and manually add, uh, 800 plus NES games onto this fucking thing. Uh, you know, including NWC and everything, which could be absolutely cool. And you're, you're telling me people out there are going to fucking sit there, uh, and then manually add on, let's see, uh, you're going to sit there and, and, and add on Dirty Harry? <laughs> you're going to sit there and, and add on, uh, let's see, Othello? And Orb 3D, think you're going to play those at some point? No, that that's not happening, no. So again, if this was an easier process where I could add all this shit at one time, that would be different. If, if I could add all the games, you can't even do that. But the, to manually add them all just sounds like the biggest pain in the ass. Again, if I do it, sure, I'll, I'll add on, on like, it'd be like my M82. I'll add on like 20, 25 games that could be cool to add on. Or, you know, if you have someone you want to give one to, you have a girlfriend or something, you remember the games that she liked. Uh, actually, now I think about it, that's something I would probably do if I had a friend or girlfriend uh, and their favorite games before I gave it to them as a present. You know what? I would do that, knowing that these are the only games that will ever play for the NES, so I could add them for uh, for her, and then she can never shut up. Uh, or she can shut up about ever borrowing my NES and games again because the first time she did that, she never ended up playing them and then threw them back at me when we broke up. What? What? What, what am I talking about? Uh, anyway, back to the NES Classic Edition. Um. So. I'm hoping they can at least unlock more memory inside of this thing, more space, uh, so that you can add the rest of the games here. I did see one cool thing, though. One cool thing that I spoke about was a big shame, uh, was that you cannot uh, reset the system, soft reset it to the main menu to change games or, or do anything with the save states, suspend points, excuse me. Uh, you can't do that with the main controller. They might try to get that functionality in through reflashing it. That's cool. I like that. But at the end of the day, though, why I say this doesn't really matter that much is because you're going to tell me you're going to seek out something that's already really hard to find. Which, by the way, Reggie Fizeme did an interview with uh, Wired, where he said that it's it's just what he's repeating what's being told to him that we didn't participate. People will be interested interested in this product, which is insane. That means their market research should be freaking fired. But he, that's what he said. But it's not limited edition. That they're still producing them. I saw an article that Target got more back in recently. They're going to still come out with them. Nintendo likes money at the end of the day. It's not just, you know. But their market research, research person should absolutely be fired at the end of the day. But um, but still, even if these are widely available, what percentage of people would bother to go through this that actually are going to buy it? And Nintendo doesn't care. What, are you going to tell me, are you going to tell me uh, even 10 or 15% of the people buying this are going to bother with this mod through this process? They're going to bother with, okay, i got to download the software, connect it to my computer manually add all these ROMs, go out on the internet and find them. Uh, I got to find the, the images and I got to manually put in the information and then flash the sucker and hopefully don't brick it. And by the way, this is before Nintendo finds out about this and then comes out with a new iteration of the, of, of the system where they block out this, this, uh, this mod, you know, like they do with like the DSs and the 3DSs in the past with flashcards. So you're going to tell me, Hey Pat, it's easy to do that. Yes, it's easy to do that if you're in this world, but that's not what the audience of the NES Classic Edition even is. This is for people that have not gone through 
the multitude of ways that you could have already played an emulator on your TV or at all gotten every NES game you want. I think I wrote down most of them because I knew this was going to come up. Here are the other options that you could have played up to this point. All of the classic NES games you could have possibly wanted in all the different formats, controller, real controller or not, here are the ways you could have done that. Here's another HDMI. Before you say this, you're going to say, oh, Pebble, well, this is HDMI. There's a ton of other ways you could have done this already with HDMI. Ready? Hacked into your Retron 5 and added the ROMs, which has been, I think, after two months that system was out, they did that. So it's been like almost, it's been two years. So you could have hacked into your Retron 5 and played every fucking ROM you could possibly want on the NES and other systems, and that's HDMI. You could have run ROMs and emulators on a flashcard on your DS or DS Lite or I think the early 3DSs. I know that's HDMI, but that's another method that's been out there you could have done for the past 10 years. Hack your Wii to run all the ROMs you want on the emulators on there, not just for uh, NES games, but the other systems uh, out there on the Wii. And no, it's not totally HD. It's only 480p at the end of the day, but you could have done that. You can get a hacked Xbox to run all the arcade emulators and and console emulators out there. Uh, You could have done that in the past fucking 10 years. Um, And two of my favorite ones that you you could do, because people say, well, Pat, why don't you just use an emulator to play games? Okay, you can get an emulator with HDMI output and hook it up uh, easily nowadays to a TV, your laptop or, or, or desktop. But even your laptop, you can do that and play your emulators. Or hell, even some Android devices, uh, tablets, you can do that. Or my favorite one, the one I've been starting to use, uh, get a good old flash card out there and put on all the NES ROMs you want and then buy a retro AVS system and play it on beautiful 720p with no lag. And there you have it. Several ways you could have done exactly what the NES Classic Edition hack is doing for you now, except with these other ways, you can get all the games, and you're not limited to 90, and you're not taking, you know, 14 years out of your life to, to add them in manually. So, again, it's cool. It's not for me at this at this point in my life. Will I probably do this at some point? Yes, I probably will get around to it at some point and, and hack into the... Uh, NES Classic Editions. But Nintendo has no need to panic because it's, it's not like they're going it's, to... It's not like it's going to affect them in any way. They're still going to s- sell tons of them. Um, so at the end of the day, though, when you're p- attempting to do this, you're really then just paying $60 or more to get a fancy-looking uh, fancy mini NES, and you're really, really paying for Nintendo's really, really uh, polished, uh, gooey interface. Oh, I forgot one other method you could, you could have used, or probably have used. How about a fucking... Uh, a retro pie, a Raspberry Pi two little unit, where you can get every, and that's HDMI output with USB uh, ports that you, you can get an adapter for an NES controller or whatever else or Super Nintendo. That, that's hell. That's that's the first one I should have fucking uh, ran through my head is that you could have got a retro pie or Raspberry Pi two and put on all the emulators you wanted to, and, and it's a hell of a lot easier uh, than than what this has here. Maybe they'll be able to. Uh, Maybe they'll be able to pull off the software off the NES Classic Edition and then add it and use that emulator. Which, by the way, I don't think it runs all the games perfectly. There's some issues. But pull that emulator off of there in the the interface and then put it on a computer. That could be cool. That could be cool. That, to me, would be a lot cooler. Then Nintendo would come after you and hunt you down to the ends of the earth if you did that. 
So once again, I'm not I'm not poo-pooing it. I, I think it's cool. I've been involved with you know I've had a freaking flash card for my DS in the past. It's good for playing Civilization on airplanes and anything else or freaking Contra. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see this where, where this heads in the future. But uh, talk to me when this is a little bit easier to do when you can do sort of a uh, mass upload or, 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 or mass file adding uh, to the system all at once, and when you can get enough space on here to include the entire NES library, or at least more than 90 games. Which, by the way, uh, from what I've heard from people, the more games you add, the less save points or suspend points you have on the NES Classic Edition as well. So that's an issue. All right, got to be careful how I approach this subject just because there's people out there that, I don't know, uh, get triggered. Uh, and I hate using that word, but for this, this is the only way I can talk about it. And this is not triggered for one side versus the other. This is anyone can get triggered. No matter your fucking political or social beliefs, it's not a word uh, meant for uh, special uh, liberal snowflakes or right-wing conservative assholes. Anyone can be quote-unquote triggered. Anyone can have a reaction to something, a visceral, emotional response based on nothing, no logic and just, just your gut instinct. But they're, they're casting a reality show from the makers of Catfish the TV series. They're going to be doing a reality show casting internet trolls sick of in quotes fake gamer girls uh so this is on craigslist out in atlanta <laughs> so i don't know if this is a gamergate subject or not and that's a word that you don't want to bring up because then you have people from all over the place that just lose their fucking minds uh because they have nothing better to do are you sick of fake gamer girls and quote-unquote booby streamers racking up huge followings on twitch and youtube while real gamer channels go unfollowed do you make sure to give them a piece of your mind in their live chats and comments section? If so, we want to hear from you. The creators of Catfish the TV show are developing a new docu-series about internet trolls and the people they torment. On our program, you'll have the opportunity to confront the phony gamer of your choosing face-to-face and show them what geek culture is really about. If this opportunity interests you, please reply to this message with a recent photo, phone number, and brief description of your situation. All right. So this show is either going to be trolling the trolls and getting people on TV, making them, making them look awful, or they're going to be doing something just as bad, if not worse, giving trolls a voice and having them uh, be allowed to face-to-face harass or bother people who they're only harassing online before. So from the start, this isn't perhaps the best idea for a TV show because really no one wins. You're going to get on the show... At best, or you might get just actors that are, or people that are, are want to troll the show by, by pretending they're trolls, but they'll probably do research to make sure they get actual trolls in the show. But at best, you're going to get some, 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 uh, female gamers get, you know, put in bad situations. Unless they flip the switch and be like, well, we're trying to show that these, uh, trolls really are the little men that they probably are. I don't know. But this has all the makings of an absolute disaster. This, this will be a smaller version of that uh, Generation KKK show that what A&E was going to put out, and then there was backlash against it coming out, the reality show about growing up in a KKK family. This is the gamer version of that show. This is going to go badly. Will I watch it? Absolutely, I'll watch it. I'll talk about it on the podcast. But this is going to end up horribly, horribly wrong. That said... This is going to come down to, though, at least for me, you know, the audience of people watching this, 
is going to be. It's funny because they might do good ratings because you'll have the two, like the two um, magnetically opposed sides that'll be watching this. You're going to have the one side watching this to say, "Yeah, see, I told you all those GamerGate assholes wanted to just harass women, and this is proof. Here they are, right here." They're going to be watching the show to try to shed light on. Yes, there are assholes out there that harass women. There are. There absolutely are. And then you're going to have the other side saying, yeah, yeah, see, I show you. I, I showed you. Here's those girls that don't know anything about video games and are just getting in, into it to show off their bodies um, and uh, show off their, their skin. And they're just, they're just using uh, dumb gamers uh, for money and for attention. And yes, there are absolutely people that do that. <laughs> the same way there are people that are harassed. Female gamers, there are people on Twitch that, this is not denial, you can look this up, there are people on Twitch that are somehow skirting the terms of service where the game footage screen is like one twentieth of the screen, if that, and then they're sitting there uh, doing jumping jacks and getting tips from, um, from I guess, 15-year-old boys somehow have money uh, to tip or whatever uh, for subscriptions and for whatever else are getting paid to do sexual things on camera on a gaming streaming site. That's out there, too. So you're, you're going to have this huge issue come to a head. Of course, I'm being facetious. I really don't give a shit uh, if horny 14-year-olds are wasting money looking at gamer girls uh, with boobies when they can be looking at porn online instead and looking at uh, websites where, where women get naked on, on camera instead of, of doing jumping jacks and whatever else and pretending to play video games. So... Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not the greatest amount of people are going to probably su- submit, uh, my situation to them. Hey, my name, my name is Pat the Aeneas Punk, and I really don't stand that good in touch with me. <laughs> Should I go on this show and pretend that I give a shit? They wouldn't use my footage. I'd be like, yeah, I think you're doing a good thing. Yeah, make money, girl, whatever, girl power, whatever you want to do to make money. You want to take money away from horny 15-year-old kids? I don't, I don't have a problem with that. It's a free market. Do whatever you want. I don't, I don't think that'll make the show. I, I think, I think I'll, uh, you know, that'll be in the cutting room floor. Uh, of that one. Did I tell you that? Uh, do you remember that show? Uh, oh my god! They didn't. I hope they didn't videotape this. They can find it. You remember that show, Singled Out? That dating show. I tried out for that show. Way back, I tried out for that show. I want to say about thirteen years ago, fifteen years ago, a while back. Um. I went to New York City, and I was auditioning for the guy that um, I would have been one of the guys, I guess, the girls fight over. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. And that just hit me that I did this. I must have been, yeah, I must have been like 23, 24 years old at the time. And uh, I went to New York City, interviewed with, uh, actually, a, I remember she was a good-looking uh, blonde woman, probably early 40s. Um and it's big, like, it was like a studio. Um, no, it wasn't a casting couch out there. And with her, I wouldn't have minded. But um, they got me to try to say embarrassing things about myself, I, I guess, in order to say, are you, you going to be good for the show? How would you compete? You know, what would you do to make these girls compete for you? Would you compete against other guys? They also wanted to see if I would be a guy that would, you know, do push-ups. Would you do push-ups against another guy to get a girl? And I said, no, I was be honest. No, I wouldn't do that. I let the other assholes pretend they were cool and do push-ups, and I would just sneak in on the side with the girl and talk to her, you know, uh, you know, they were trying to be alpha males over there. 
Uh, you know, I would just sort of uh, try a different tactic, maybe the goofy, the goofy, you know, charming one instead. Anyway, I just brought that up as something I haven't thought about in probably 10 years that, yeah, I auditioned for, uh, uh, was it singled out? Which one was it? Not singled out. Singled out was the one on MTV. Um, it wasn't singled out. The one with Jamie Carter. It was not that one. It was the one where you start with like one girl and four guys or one guy and four girls, and then every 10 minutes you get rid of one on the show. Like, you go on a bus and they interview you. Someone in the comments section will know what that is. But just think about it. Think about think about if I ended up on that show. God, I can't remember that show. Um, and it wasn't Blind Date either. It was it was like in that genre, but it wasn't Blind Date. But someone someone out there remember that name of that show, and there's probably, there's probably footage of it out there. Not of me, but it'd be funny if I was in that show, then all of a sudden it came back to haunt me all these years later that I was on that uh, that show embarrassing myself. I like Nintendo games. You know, these other guys don't like them. I think you should go out with me. You, you, you want to play with my zapper? Eh? You know, it'd be one of those sort of deals. Remember Starcade? The 80s arcade competition. Check out the video game years clip from, uh, what was it, 1983. The show was on 82 to 83. Um, it was a, an arcade competition show. You had either two competitors or two teams answer video game questions and then do challenges, arcade challenges. It was the best video game uh, game show ever. Arguably the best video game show ever, but yeah. Um, Shout Factory bought the rights to create a reboot of the series. Shout Factory are, they used to do, they do, I think they still do like stuff like the Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, video collection, stuff like that. They like getting into the older stuff. And trying to bring it back. I think they might have done anime or like G.I. Joe and like Voltron stuff in the past or Transformers they've come out with, I think. So um it was a cool show. Like I said, I don't want to retread a lot of ground. The big the big thing was the show's uh, second host, Jeff Edwards, was the fucking man. And I even tried it's a shame I never got in touch with him before he passed away, unfortunately. Because um, and this, and the reason that this is still well known because on G4 they used to run reruns of this all the all the freaking time. They ran reruns of uh, Starcade, and there is a website that you can even watch most of the old episodes. Um, and on YouTube, I'm sure people up up uh, up upload them. Yeah, go to Starcade.tv, and um, you click on shows, and you have wow, list of the episodes. I don't think you can watch all of them, but you can watch a chunk of them. I just clicked on episode four. Wisen versus Shaw. Barbara Wisen versus Rakesh Shaw. So you have a chunk on here. And how many? There was over 130 episodes. What was cool about the show, I'm not going to totally just uh, say what I said before on the video game years, but it was a mix of, you know, this is still early in video game history, uh, relatively. Where you didn't have video games be just, oh, this is just for kids or video games are just for boys. You had all r- ranges. You had uh, men and women, boys and girls. So remember, arcades in the in the late 70s were still seedy, early, even up to the early 80s. It wasn't until games like Pac-Man, Centipede, more colorful games that could be more family-friendly or, or geared towards kids. Um, then you, you brought the kids into it, and then, of course, the merchandising and everything blew up. Until 1980, at least, you know, it wasn't like that with arcades by and large it was more teenagers and older um but they're going to bring this back 
I'm fearful of, of what this could look like. I'm interested, but I'm fearful. Um, just because there, the reason I think this show works so well, you had this, at least the second host, who Jeff Edwards, who did a majority of the of the show. Who again? I tried. I tried messaging on Facebook, and he never got back to me. I wanted to ask him some questions. I hopefully at least saw that uh, that message I sent him. You need someone that's enthusiastic about games. Of course, nowadays you can get anyone who's enthusiastic. You can get Jeff Keighley instead of Jeff Edwards to host it, be enthusiastic. But the the show is set up to look like an arcade, and the arcade is just a social environment that's been lost in video games. It's not the same as having a couch with a with a, a monitor or. A, or a table with a monitor. Having a living room set up, you can have maybe like four to six people, and have, but you don't have the games being showed off. It's something to be said for having an arcade where you have beautiful arcade cabinets advertising the games clearly while they're also being displayed at the same time. There's no, there's no uh, analogy you have to modern gaming when it comes to arcades. It just doesn't exist. So I'm hoping they would do try to do a setup with that. Maybe you'd have, I don't know, 30 games set up at different PC stations, and you can select each one. Because that'd be cool if you can walk over and say, hey, I want to challenge someone to, I don't know, Halo ODST or whatever. Then you play that. Or, hey, I want to challenge someone to, I don't know, um, uh, what's, what's that, Rocket League. And they play that game. Sort of like a Nick Arcade sort of vibe where they had some games set up along the side. Phil Moore's a cool guy, by the way, by the way from Nick Arcade. It's going to be interesting to see what they can do there. Because it's not like you're going to have each PC title have its own arcade cabinet. Will they have that? I don't know. Uh, hopefully the format stays the same where you have trivia. The cool thing about, the cool thing about Star K that something like Nick Arcade lost out on is that Star K was purely video games. Video game knowledge, trivia, and game playing. Something like Nick Arcade cheated. Or even that one that was on uh, syndication, which I always forget. Uh, video Power. Uh, those other ones cheated because they would ask you questions uh, or have games or puzzles that had nothing, nothing to do with video games. Which always bothered me. I'm going to give Phil Moore shit for that when I see him at SoCal Retro Gaming Expo in a few weeks. Just kidding, I love Phil Moore. Phil Moore. Um, that bothered me. So they have to keep the formula, I think, similar. But then again, you still have the same issue I brought up when I, when I talked about the Conan O'Brien Clueless Gamer show possibly coming to TV. Is there an audience for something like like a Starcade revival on TV? Is there even an audience? Or are you better off just putting it on YouTube, but then again, you put stuff on YouTube, you don't make that much money to recoup the cost. One of the issues with video game years is that you could not recoup the cost to make the show. Or even think about turning a profit by putting a show like that on YouTube. YouTube is, is best for lower budget or simpler shows put together, not for a TV production style show. It's just not what YouTube is for. You don't have the viewing numbers. You just don't. We'll wait and see. My gut tells me that this they'll get to a pilot stage, but you may never even see this uh, come out. You might, you might be, you might see something like a, uh, maybe you'll see like a uh, Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray box set of Starcade shows from the past uh, or merchandise, etc., versus seeing this actually get a revival on cable TV. Lucasfilm has no plans to digitally recreate Carrie Fisher. Uh, for future Star Wars movies. <sighs> That's the big news coming out. And really, this will be a touchy conversation, maybe for some. There's really no uh, right or wrong answers here. It's In terms of how do you honor someone who passes away with future movies, 
there's various approaches. For example, I mean, Paul Walker unfortunately passed away. We talked about it on the podcast in the earlier days of the podcast and how, how much that bothered us when they were filming uh, Fast 7. He passed away in the middle of shooting. So much, I mean, they shot a chunk of his scenes, but they had to shut down production of, 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 on the film for like, what, eight months before they started shooting again. They had to rewrite a chunk of the movie. They had to hire his brothers as stand-ins and had to digitally recreate them in order to make sense, in order to write them out and to honor him at the same time. And from what, I, what I've what uh, heard, I haven't seen it, but they did an admirable job the best they could, making the bad out of a horrific situation, like absolute horrific situation. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman died before finishing the Hunger Games. They had to digitally recreate him. Um, there's been it's been about five to ten things like that. Um, uh, when uh, Heath Ledger died, they didn't finish uh, filming. Uh, what was that last movie he worked on where they had to hire three other actors in order to do uh, certain scenes of, uh, of him in his place, like Colin Farrell. Uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnarsis, that one. They had to do some little trickery here and there, but he was in the middle of filming that. And then now you come to Carrie Fisher, who had finished shooting. The good news, I mean, there's not any good news. Carrie Fisher died, and it's a tra- it's a tragedy, even though she was 60. You know, it can happen. I mean, that's the danger. You bring back these franchises after being away. These actors haven't acted in these roles for 35 years. Harrison Ford, Jesus Christ, he had his foot almost fucking cut off by a Millennium Falcon door when filming. It was crushed, and he crashed a goddamn plane. You know, when they're in production of Star Wars Episode Seven, he crashed. He crash landed a small plane and walked away from that. So, I mean, that's a different circumstance than dying of of cardiac arrest or a heart attack, or however uh, Miss Fisher died. But people get older. You have these movies come out. I mean, I, I don't know how you get away with these, especially like it's, it was like Harrison Ford does one movie, but then he's got to be around potentially then for uh, doing two more. That's like f- another four or five years. She's got to be alive to shoot it. Carrie Fisher, the same thing. She's got to be around for four or five years to shoot three movies, potentially. Um, the same way in The Hobbit, they brought back... Uh, what's his name? Who died? Uh, Christopher Lee, 90 years old. He comes back, went out like a fucking champ, was great in the limited time they digitally helped them move around and had stunt people I understand that uh, but that was 10, 11 years in between filming they started filming The Lord of the Rings in like 99 and I think they started production on The Hobbit something like, I don't know, 2010 so, uh, so at least 10 years at least 10 years in between filming uh these two sets of movies with an actor who was already 80 years old in the other movies. You're playing with fire when it comes to this stuff because uh, time beats us all. No one's beaten, beaten that fucking guy yet. People have gotten close, but time at the end of the day will kick the shit out of all of us. So uh, here's the, the issue though with, with Carrie Fisher. This isn't just like Philip Seymour Hoffman where yeah, you know, he had to film a few more scenes. You can fudge around it, whatever. Or rewrite it. Carrie Fisher's a main character. Oh, Christopher Lee was 92 filming the final scene uh, that he did for The Hobbit. Holy shit. Good on Christopher Lee. God damn, what a champ. In a ton of movies. Anyway, so... 
Carrie Fisher is the leader of the Rebel Alliance, or the excuse me, now the not the the Resistance, whatever the hell you want to call it, the the new Galactic fucking Senate or whatever Republic. She's the leader, right? She had a only what three scenes uh, in uh, Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. Uh, supposedly her role, I don't know about episode eight. The word is on episode eight. She doesn't have a huge amount of, of, of scenes, but in episode nine, it was supposed to ramp up because remember her son killed a Han Solo. So you, you, you probably were going to have a scene with her confronting Kylo Ren. You were probably going to have, if God, if you didn't have a scene in episode eight shot where she meets up with, with Luke Skywalker, brother and sister, you were going to definitely have one in episode nine. Uh, now that's gone, unfortunately, that opportunity. And again, it's not selfishness. It's not being uh heartless, but these are story arcs that you had planned out. Um, and, it, it, and I'm not going to get on people for being concerned about this stuff because these are, these are real story concerns, uh, that you have to have. You, it's not like they're going to cancel episode nine. You know, Disney spent billions of dollars on it. So there has to be a solution and it's, and it's a fan's right. To, to think about and ponder what these solutions can possibly be. You got a few different things you can do. It might be heartless, but you might have to recast and you might have to start that with episode eight just so that I'm not saying you're going to get someone that comes close to Carrie Fisher, but hell it's been done in other movies. I know it's not the same like recasting Don Cheadle for Iron Man 2 as, as doing someone as iconic as Slayer. I understand that. But if you do it in episode 8, at least then you get audiences used to it a little bit before the last appearance in episode 9. At least then you can do that. But then if you do that, you're not honoring one of the final, I don't think it was the final thing she shot in her life. Uh, that she filmed, but then you're not honoring her if you keep her out of episode eight. So then that's the one big thing. So then what do you do? Then you recast for episode nine. Then it's still awkward if you don't want to digitally recreate her. I mean, hell, they're going to get someone and put a, a mission impossible, uh, imposter, uh, Halloween mask on someone. That would be cruel. You can't do that. Do you, do you write her out of episode nine? Do you kill her off in episode eight? Or do you sort of just use footage from episode eight and then have her on a ship and that gets shot and blown blown away in space in episode nine. I mean, these are all things that right now Disney is scratching their heads or struggling with it. Who knows if they even have a solution yet? But they better damn well come up with one because the release of episode eight is less than a year uh, away. And if they have to change the plans for episode nine, that means maybe rewriting part of episode eight and reshooting it. And they and they finished shooting episode eight like what six seven months ago, you know, something like that. So these are these are questions you have to answer, or ask at least, and you have to answer them. Um, my issue, though, is that I mean they might have a choice, but if they kill off uh, General Leia, Senator Leia, however you want to say it, uh, Princess Leia, Queen Leia, if you, if you kill her off, then you have two of the three uh, major characters from the original trilogy being killed off. That just bothers me. But again, they might have a choice. So maybe maybe what they'll do then. They'll take the the Spock route from Star Wars. I mean, they might just do this. This might be the most tasteful way to do it, honestly. It might be the most tasteful way to do it. No digital recreation. No recasting, even though, to me, that wouldn't be totally awful. 
Uh, you'd have to get get over it. I think you eventually would. It would bother some people. Then again, there's no there's no there's no solution that would satisfy everyone. Some people will be pissed if she's digitally recreated. Some people will be pissed if she's written out. Some people will be pissed if she was uh, recast. I think they're going to go though. The most sensible solution might be just to have an off-screen death. She dies of old age or an accident that you don't see. Uh, you don't show it on camera. You just start up episode nine after a scene saying. Uh, sorry to say we have bad news um, that uh, General Leia uh, passed away. And they have like um, some sort of uh, funeral scene or something of that nature or some sort of ceremony, the same way they did in uh, Star Trek, the last Star Trek movie that came out for Leonard Nimoy and, and the Spock character because he showed up in the first two of, of the new uh, trilogy there. That could be the way you go. You you still probably have to rewrite episode nine. You man, it's just it's just a tragedy all around. I mean, it's a tragedy she died, obviously, but then yeah, I hate to say it, you're gonna have people pissed at the, how Star Wars. Uh, you know how do they resolve that that issue? If you think it's heartless, it's heartless. But that's what something that they have to think about uh, doing. They can't just ignore it. You know they got to do episode nine. They're not gonna stop the series. The show must go on, as that good Queen song uh, stated. It's time for the scumbag seller of the week. This scumbag seller of the week is one two Ebecca Lynn on eBay. And what is one two Ebecca Lynn selling besides uh, looking at the other things? Selling uh, men's polo shirts and uh, women's tops and sunglasses. Well, they are selling. The 32,000 in one MAME retro arcade games for Windows slash cabinet 64 gigabytes plug and play December 2016. Woo! Woo! They're also selling the 6800 plus MAME retro arcade games for Windows slash cabinets 32 gigabytes USB plug and play December 2016. Woo! What the hell is cabinets? Cabinets? Uh, This person is so out of touch they think they're renovating someone's kitchen. Windows, and yes, windows and cabinets. No, yes, I know they mean arcade cabinets. It's just funny that it says windows slash cabinets. Because what's next? Uh, Drawers? uh, Sinks as well? So you click on this person's uh, auction. um, And what you have is a um, arcade game. 6800 plus retro arcade, 80s arcade games, plastic. OEM. I fucking love seeing that. OEM. Let's just add it to every auction now. People don't know what that means anymore. Uh, you get six thousand eight hundred ninety-six games and emulators and instructions on a, on a on a on a USB flash drive. Bonus, bonus! You get my top sixty-five Sega games of all time for free, Super Nintendo games of all time for free, and NES games of all time for free. As if they have the fucking rights to sell any of these games. Suitable for all Windows PCs, Raspberry Pi, hyper hyperspin or cabinet projects. Just insert the USB and go with a with a um, asterisk. Photographs are representation of some of the game supplied. Don't be fooled by other eBay listings uh, on eBay offering sixty-eight thousand. There were only ever about twelve thousand released, and you will find that you only receive duplicates with similar names. Mine also come with all artwork, cabinet designs, button configurations, marquees, etc. I'm an honest seller. Check my feedback. 
I sell the games in the emulator that you need because you can only buy it from them and you can't buy your own flash drive for four hours and download all these games on a tour in about 20 seconds. Um, no need to ask for games as your game, uh, no need to ask for a game list as your game will be included. You will receive one USB arcade game stick and instructions. Jesus Christ. Clicking on the 32,001. Wait a minute. They, didn't, they just said there was not 12,000. Unless this one also has... Oh, this has the top 900 Sega games of all time. Was there more than 900 Sega Genesis games? Um, the top uh, 700 Nintendo games of all time. That's most of them. The top 1,000 Super Nintendo games of all time. I think that's all of them at that point. All on a 64 gigabyte drive. My buyers receive future MAME updates when available from my cloud account. Well, this is good. Have someone uh, access your fucking cloud. This is where you're fucking... uh, Jesus Christ. You're going to put the ROMs in there as well? Holy shit. This is insane. Plug and play USB with no installation required. Well, MAME, you just have the fucking emulator, uh, you know, executable, executable you click on, yes. All emulators, for the most part, don't have to be installed. You just unpack them, and you have the files there, and you fucking load the ROMs, and you go. This was built using Windows 10. With a screwdriver and hammer and nails, you're building... You're, you're not building shit. You're downloading emulators and ROMs that are available for free online, and you're loading the directories onto a USB stick and putting it on eBay. You didn't build shit. This annoys me. Sorry, it does. This has taken me ages to put together. No, it hasn't. What it took ages was where the people actually worked worked their asses off to develop and program those games and the publishers that put up the money and funding to get those games uh, made and out there. They're the ones that it took ages to make these, uh, what, 32,000 games. It took you an hour to compile all these ROMs from torrents and get the emulators to throw them on your fucking drive. I, when I was, when I was uh, first starting to emulate MAME games in college before they had the torrents and all that stuff and I had to search out all the individual files and go on websites and download the ones I wanted that took me ages because I was downloading them one at a time because it wasn't as, as easy as it was now I'd go oh let's, let's search out for this ROM let's find Mercs you know and let's download that one uh, let's find oh god they had Arkanoid I can play Arkanoid from the arcade on here you know that took time to do but I wasn't fucking selling them uh, on a USB stick they didn't have USB sticks in 1998 did they Anyway, my drives come without any videos, music, or any other extras, just games. You can add your own front end. Holy shit, dude. This doesn't even have, this doesn't even have like, uh, like that shitty fucking bullshit, um, uh, disclaimer that other ones that we talked about, like the ones that were selling a little arcade, saying, well, you're allowed to own ROMs legally. Um, if it's a, um, if it's an archive, you know, all that bullshit you see. Um, I like the asterisk. This collection you purchase is given to you as is, and you agree that you are purchasing the, the, purchasing the collection as a service to you. You also agree that my payment made by you, that any payment made by you is voluntary, meaning that you are reimbursing the costs involved in preparing your collection, e.g. time, electricity, wear and tear, packaging, and other services. All titles are freely available from the internet. But it doesn't mean they're legally available. And it doesn't mean that, that you putting out there free as a disclaimer means that you can sell them. As per eBay rules and regulations, this drive does not contain games, ROMs, 
emulators, artwork, videos, movies, applications, or software. Winky face. They put a fucking emoticon winky face in the goddamn auction because that's exactly what's on this drive. I can't believe the gall of this. Note to eBay sellers. Oh, this is fantastic. This this system contains sector-based copy protection to prevent my work being stolen and redistributed. My penis just fell off from the irony of that of that statement. It's gone. It, it, it went through my pant leg. Sector-based copy protection to prevent my work being stolen and redistributed. After I spent a lot of time and effort on this and will report unauthorized copies if seen, including artwork and seller pictures. Are you fucking kidding me? You are using the only thing that you can get away with is using free use uh like um images of, of gameplay footage. And you're gonna get on other sellers for that. These have been registered with eBay's Vero program. What the this could be this could be the most upsetting scumbag seller of the week. Not just because they're selling ROMs on eBay. We've seen that before. We've gone after once before doing that. Not just because of that. But the absolute fucking balls and gall of this person to say this drive does not contain games, ROMs, emulators, artwork, videos, blah, blah, blah. After it explicitly said it does already. On top of the fact that they're putting copy protection on a USB drive of copyrighted software and games uh, that they don't have the rights to sell. And they're going to bitch at other people for doing what they're doing that's illegal as well. That's like me being a Coke dealer and saying, well, my Coke's okay, but that seller on the, on the other street corner, don't buy from them. There, theirs is illegal. Mine's not. Because I'm doing it first. And they have the fucking balls to then report unauthorized copies of artwork and seller pictures. And their fucking artwork is just the main fucking, the main logo with them in Arial font saying 32,001 retro 80s arcade games. It's like, it's not, they, they put literally 13 seconds into doing this in Windows Paint. And then there's a Donkey Kong fucking gameplay image. There's an arcade image. That's not their arcade. There's a Mortal Kombat image. Golden Axe 2. Um, a picture of the fucking main front end listing the ROMs. Space Invaders. Uh, be Space Invaders. Galaga. Frogger. They're Space Invaders. A bunch of the marquee artwork from the arcades. Um, Wonder Boy, Sega Grand Prix. Excuse me, Super Monaco Grand Prix. <laughs> One, two, Ebeka Lin. For not just doing something that you're not allowed to do on eBay, but for doing something that for doing something and then saying you're not doing it and then going after other people for doing what you're doing as well. You are the scumbag seller of the week 
and perhaps the early ca- candidate for scumbag seller of 2017. We have uh, we have a a certain uh, app here. Not no, not the ultimate NES game app, which should be on Android and iOS devices by now. So look out for that. <laughs> we have a game called the New York Toy Fair. New York Toy Fair, the game. You can't, you can't, you can't make that up. New York Toy Fair, the game, by none other than uh, UK Mike of the Retro Gaming Roundup. So, what is the New York Toy Fair, uh, the game about? Let's go to the App Store real quick, shall we? And I'll, I'll, I'll we'll talk about the description at the at the good old uh, App Store. So, New York Toy Fair, the game by Gimpy Software. Description: It is 2016, and you are at the New York Toy Fair. Attempting to wow the industry with a new retro video game console. You must look around the show floor and collect all the pieces you need to build your prototype so you can demo some games. You play the part of Mike Kennedy, video game entrepreneur, cornering the retro game market. While making your way around the toy fair, you must avoid several enemies who will try and halt your efforts of getting funded. Oh, this is fantastic. Please download this. But I'm not sure if it's on Android, but it's on iOS. New York Toy Fair, the game, uh, before it gets taken down potentially. Potentially. So it's a simple text slash, you know, graphics game where you have arrows that you tap to walk around the toy fair. And it's simple graphics. The mazes almost look like um, uh, something you see out of Berserk, except it's just one screen at a time, and there's a text description on each. Uh, so, for example... Uh, you are standing close to the southeast corner of the expo hall. There are some cosplayers hanging around here. One is dressed as Tiny Knight. Whoa. There are no components here that will help with your fake prototype. Oh, well, better keep on searching, I guess. The east is a dead end. Jay Smith is being interviewed, and there is huge a huge crowd around him. This is the northeast corner of the toy fair. You are literally going to be history in the making. Really cool. There is an SNES Junior motherboard on a table. Huzzah! You should pick it up and put it in your fanny pack. This could be the mother. This could be your motherboard. Awesome! So that's what the game's all about. And I beat the game. You can beat it in about five minutes. It's it's a little challenging uh, because you are costed at times. I took some screenshots out of my phone. I'll read some more. But you are you are tasked to get six items for for your booth, which is you can find there at the event. You must find the Jaguar shell, the SD2 SNES flash cart, SNES controllers, the SNES Junior motherboard, Nintendo AV lead, and the electrical tape. <laughs> Once you do that, uh, you won the game, and the, it says to you, spoilers, I beat the game. You head for your hotel room where you can get to work on building your fake prototype and get it onto Kickstarter. Konami are going to be all over this one. <laughs> this one, you email them again. Oh my god, man! And then you run into other people while you. Oh, this is funny. You ban some users from your page and have a look at the forums while muttering under your breath. Haters are always going to hate. Wow. So this is a little uh, extra kick in the groin at Mike Kennedy, of course. But it's actually funny the writing when you go to each uh, part of the Toy Fair, which again, it's this is a simple game with simple graphics like 1981 uh, IBM uh, PC graphics. It's just funny how it's written, though. Uh, 
With dollar signs in your eyes, you build up your fake prototype and take some publicity shots of your handiwork. Absent-mindedly, you also take pictures of the rear of the unit and leave a bit of the SD to, to SNES cart exposed. Oh, well, you're the only one who will lose. Man. Congratulations, you have saved gamers from cheap games and bug fixes. Well done. Cuz cartridges. This game is based on a true story. Man, please download this game and then give you reviews. Please give it all five stars at the App Store. Again, it's um, New York Toy Fair, the game. Uh, and it's it's entertaining. It'll at least give you a nice chuckle going to each part and then reading everything. And yes, you just got to click on the six components and then make your way out. But you you must watch out for Mr. Gogo, uh, who wants to try to get you to use their site instead of Kickstarter. And then uh, you also must out for watch out for the mysterious uh, Mr. Lee shows up. I think I read into him. Uh, yeah, Mr. Lee will then take away your prototype if he if he finds you there. Uh, so yeah, there you go. There's your requisite uh, Clico Chameleon topic of the month. I pre- or maybe at the by the topic of the podcast at this point. Q&A time on the CU Podcast. This is from Picard underscore M underscore Maker. Do you think Nintendo's high pricing on the Switch and accessories will hinder sales? No, I don't because it's not high compared to other systems. The uh, The Wii U launched at $350. The Wii was $250. Remember, the first 3DS before they had a slash of price was $250. So it's not like this is out of the realm of degree of pricing of new consoles. Remember, the PS3 came out, it was $500 for the lowest end of the system. $500 for the PS3. And that was already back, what, uh, almost 10 years ago? Nine and a half years ago? The PS3? So you have to respect what the market is, of course, when you're pricing this stuff. But you can't. You can't under you know underprice it, or else you'll you'll lose money. So I don't think three hundred is that big a deal. If you thought this was only going to be two hundred dollars, you're insane. You're absolutely insane based upon the things I just said. When the three DS wasn't even uh, two hundred dollars, and the technology this is so much more. You have a full tablet. You have the Joy Cons, which are fairly advanced technology in there from what I see. Um, and you also get the the stand, the charging. There's a good amount of stuff in here. To me, this is a better value at three hundred dollars than the Wii U was. At three fifty for sure, absolutely. The Joy Cons being eighty dollars, that does bug me a little bit. Um, and the and the um, as I spoke about in my hour uh, long dissertation about the the Switch, uh, the what bothers me the most most is probably the the uh, seventy dollar uh, Pro Gamer controller. That bothers me the, the most. At least with the Joy Con, you can make the argument that you're really buying two controllers. That you can use for two different people at eighty dollars, so it's forty dollars each. I know, but seventy dollars for one controller—that's nuts. Nintendo's never put out a standard controller that costs more than their games has. They've never done that. That's just really, I think, bad form. The good news is that you're going to get third-party controllers. I mean, hell, they're probably starting to develop them right now. Uh, will the Joy Cons be as as accepted, or will Nintendo try to lock out, you know, lock out third parties from doing? Uh, Joy Cons. I don't know. I think that's the big one. Like if Madcast puts out their version and they only charge say fifty dollars for getting uh, you know two Joy Cons with the IR sensor and whatever the HD Rumble 
haptic feedback, whatever function. I mean, you have to admit, this is not cheap technology. It's not like this is getting two NES controllers that they can make for $3. You know, you have a advanced rumble feature. There's uh, there's the whatever, the gyros inside of this. Ooh, gyros, I'm hungry. You got those inside here. No, no tzatziki sauce, but you got the gyros, and you have that IR uh, sensor on the one on the right Joy-Con as well. So there, there, are, there's some pieces to this puzzle that makes it worth more. But of course, Nintendo's making money off of uh, off of these. Of course, every every company makes money off the accessories. They claim they're not selling uh, this at a loss. I don't buy that. I think they realized they couldn't sell it at 350. That partially hurt the Wii U being 350. Besides the fact that well, there's 80 other problems with the Wii U, but. I think 300 is fine, and like I said before, that gives them wiggle room for the holiday season when you will definitely either see a price drop of the basic model that doesn't include a game, or you're going to see a bundle with 1-2-Switch, or I can definitely see them doing a bundle with either Splatoon 2 and or with um, they'll do it with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, because both are basically upgrades from the original, so it's not like uh, it's not like they're going to be losing a ton of money on those bundling them in uh, versus something like uh, the Legend of Zelda game or the Super Mario Odyssey game. So you're going to see that come in the fall. And who, know, and who knows, maybe they'll do a bundle with Super Mario and then maybe they'll sell it for only 25 bucks more and it'll be 325 and that'll probably be the biggest seller out of them all because you'll have people saying, oh, that's the, that's the killer app. That's what I want. That's why I bought the system. And you'll be saving money in the process. So we'll see about that. But I don't think that's what's going to be the deciding factor is that price or not. Because I think $300 is fine based upon the features you get. And just based upon the pricing history of consoles for the past fucking 15 years. And even if you go back and adjust the original, uh, you know, you adjust the NES uh, for inflation or the PlayStation. They're $300 systems or more. Or more in our money today. You go back and adjust for inflation, inflation the twenty six hundred in like nineteen seventy seven. That's like six hundred dollars. like six hundred dollars or so. It could be more. Off the top of my head, it's a lot of money for video game consoles. So I don't understand how you, you think like uh, it being three hundred versus two fifty is going to be a system killer. I just don't. I think we're past that. It's, it's, if you can afford two hundred fifty dollars for a system, you can afford three hundred because you're going to be buying games anyway and maybe extra controllers. So I just don't see that being an issue. <clears throat> this is from at Anthony underscore Swinia. Kurt Angle going into the Hall of Fame. Thank you, WWE. Kurt Angle is so deserving of going into the WWE Hall of Fame. Arguably the best in-ring performer uh, overall of the past nearly 20 years. I mean, he came, what, early 2000 in the WWE? At least the last 15 years. Um, had a great run in WWE for, what, seven years. Uh wrestled tons of great matches against everyone from uh, Chris Benoit to his his great matches with Brock Lesnar or they have an Iron Man match, that Wrestlemania match where Lesnar beat him after he botched the uh, shooting star press trying to jump 50 feet across the ring uh, but Kurt Angle won a gold medal, gold medal in 96 with a broken freaking neck American hero in terms of doing that Really surprising, though. What's surprising about Kurt Angle, and this is not just me, this is people in the biz that said how quickly he caught on. Almost right away, um, you can see that he was getting he was getting it that he was never going to be a face at the start. He was going to be a heel that people got on, on for being the smug American hero that 
thought he knew better from everyone, anyone else. You know, the three eyes, what was it? Uh, intensity, uh, intelligence, and what was the third eye? Uh, but, you know, he was trying to preach to everyone how to be a true American hero. Uh, and, and he talked down to the audience. Intensity, intelligence, integrity. Great theme song he had. Of course, his, after his, his uh, feud with Edge, the You Suck thing started. You suck. You suck. I always used to you know, chant Angle. Angle! Which they started to do after he turned back to being a face character. Which happened, what was that, 2001? In one of the most memorable years of wrestling, due to the invasion angle, which was fucking awful, but there were highlights. One of them being, uh, the, remember the heel Stone Cold after he, he, went, he joined uh, forces with Vince McMahon? Probably the best, the best Stone Cold character ever was crazy, psychotic, heel Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, when he beat up The Rock with the chair at WrestleMania. And, uh... Yeah, he had the best interplay with Kurt Angle. The two of them together, with Angle trying to be buddy-buddy with Stone Cold, singing uh, songs with the guitar, having Vince there. You think, if you're watching wrestling now, it's pretty entertaining, very entertaining, what Chris Jericho is doing with Kevin Owens as having you know comedic pairing. That was nothing compared to what Kurt Angle and Steve, uh, Stone Cold uh, Steve Austin had going on back in 2001. Like like that that could have been the the best work ever. I remember at that time Kurt Angle hadn't been in the, the WWE for more than what? He came in in March ninety nine. Okay, I was off of it. He came in March ninety nine. Um into the WWE on TV. So within two, two and a half years, he's now one of the biggest stars in the company. Has his character down pat, you know. And is doing some awesome stuff. Then, of course, he had the infamous or famous uh, milk in the middle of the ring. How Stone Cold had done his beer uh, soaking Vince McMahon uh, years prior. Uh, Angle did a spin on that and was soaked uh, Austin with, with, with milk. So he can hold his own. I mean, he was fantastic in the ring. I don't remember him having a bad pay-per-view match or a really big match with anyone. And then he, uh, So he stays around with the company until, what, about 2006? He helped SmackDown be a bigger show. Um, he had he held every title at the time, every title at the time he held. Then he goes to uh, he goes to TNA in 2006, and it's been there for what seven years, and really helped that company uh, a lot. I didn't follow him. I think I watched TNA for the first year or so and got out of it. But he was what member of what the main event mafia, you know. He fought people like Booker T. Uh, I think he fought he fought Sting. Yeah, Sting was one of his bigger feuds uh, there. Uh, he feuded with Jeff Jarrett before Jeff Jarrett left as being a wrestler. Like what was it, like five six years ago. Again, this is all. I, I'm not a huge TNA guy to follow it for better or for worse. Um, now he leaves. I mean, there's been, been murmurings about this for at least one or two years that Triple H has been talking with him, and it's all public trying to get him back into WWE. And he belongs there. He absolutely belongs in the WWE. Uh, I hope they let him wrestle. I don't know if sure he passed a physical. I mean, he's an older guy now. I mean, he's still probably in phenomenal shape, but, but he's 48 years old. But then again, they let Sting wrestle at 55, um, and he ended up getting his neck just be, you know broken by uh, Seth Rollins, just about. But I think Angle has one. If you can have Goldberg come back and wrestle, you know, let Angle wrestle 
a, a few more matches. I think I think he has it in him. He he's entertaining as hell on the microphone. Great in ring performer. He's safe. He doesn't injure people. Uh, very charismatic. I think the fans would will love him when he comes back. But at the very least, you'll get to see him. You know, probably a week or two before WrestleMania, he'll do his little. He'll come in the ring. He'll probably put the ankle lock on someone. You'll get to see him though. This is what he deserves to be seen. What's going to be interesting though is that for the past ten years, how the WWE, how the WWE are going to explain him uh, disappearing. They're probably going to end up saying stuff. Well, he's fought. Other WWE legends, you know, Sting and AJ Styles the past 10 years, or something to that effect, in order to, to play it off. You know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy about this. He was one of my favorites back in the day, for sure. Absolutely. He had the angle slam, which was the Olympic slam at first. The ankle lock. Uh, he's done moonsaults. And, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, you know, he's had his, his issues in the past with uh, substance abuse and, you know, drugs and things of that nature, performance-enhancing drugs, but you know, let's uh, let's have him back for one last run. I would, I'd love to see him actually face Goldberg and beat him in a in a uh, drawn out match, like a like a really good like fifteen minute match. That'd be fantastic. So that's it for this CU podcast. Again, if you uh, Ian, Ian's GoFundMe to help with his medical bills is uh, GoFundMe dot uh, actually no, it's thepunkeffect dot com slash Ian. I I simplified it for a, a reason. The Punk Effects. Uh, dot com slash Ian will redirect there. There's also the uh, Patreon uh, for the podcast slash Pixel Sickle that helps out both of us um, as well. And then I'm going to be at SoCal Retro Gaming Expo February 4th and 5th. Uh, pre-order tickets now and save 10%. Use uh, promo code CU Podcast. And uh, yeah, that's it. My book's getting restocked, but you can pre-order it at ultimatenes.com. They'll start shipping in February. A second batch is coming in. It's probably somewhere in the in the Pacific right now. And then uh, the Ultimate NES uh, Game Guide app on Android and iOS. So we'll see you in a couple weeks. Hopefully Ian's back by then, but we can't promise it. We'll see you uh, then, and I'm going to go get something to eat. I'm starving. Um, And, uh, yeah, my new podcast might be starting up within a month. We'll see. All right, guys, I'm grabbing some tacos. It's Taco Tuesday. Yeah, screw the burrito. I'm getting tacos. We'll see you later.